So, all right, this we're going to do our second recap of 2019, and in order to do that this time, I uh, we thought it would be fun to bring in the entire team, the entire Hustle team. So Yan is here. Yan is going to be on uh, mute for a lot of this because he's on a bus. And uh, Yan, can you, do you want to chime in for a minute? Maybe. There he is. Hi, hi guys. <laughs> yeah, the answer. There's a radio playing, so I'm on mute. <laughs> are you on your way to the airport to go back home to Scotland, or are you going somewhere else? Oh, I'm going somewhere else. <laughs> are you with uh, Nicholas? Yeah, I have Nicholas with me, okay. and we're going off. We're going off for the weekend. Uh, it's Sunday. The weekend is kind of over. So yeah, but I'm it, off. I'm I'm off work for a few days. So. Oh, nice. And then uh, in addition, we wanted to bring on Paul Underwood, who, uh, as you know, from Glory Days Radio. Paul, I got to always put in a plug for Glory Days Radio, and uh, Paul sort of become our backup or our. Uh, ancillary produ producer one a month from paul and uh so i want to bring you on especially since you have some big episodes this time around that we should talk about man i did and first off yan i know you you don't want to speak up but major props to yan for what he does uh, because all you have to do is try to produce one of these and then you you figure out how hard Yan's job is every week to edit out. We save the listener from so many of the ums and uhs and all of that stuff. So major props to Yan on that. And to John, I wouldn't do this for, for anybody. I do this because John is one of the best interviewers in the business. And that's why I'm just proud to be a part of it. And so one a month works great for me. I can totally immerse myself into the episodes yeah and get get one a month cranked out and john's giving me some real uh some real doozies too so <laughs> well, i appreciate you saying that and uh i tried to i try to always give paul either one that i know he is gonna like since he only does the one or one that i really really need his help with because he's got so much extra time to work on something besides yet other than yan uh, it could be the guy who stammers a lot. It could be the one where there's a really good story in there, but it needs some fat trimmed off. Whatever it might be, those are the ones that I tend to, to give to Paul. So thank you, Paul, for everything that you do for us. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, we have our chief marketing officer, Andy Shaw. <laughs> Officially, I'm your unofficial. Uh, yes. Straight officially the assistant to the chief marketing officer no um and uh as most people know or maybe you see if you're on facebook or social media andy is so diligent about sharing all of our episodes to all the different bands fan pages and their websites and different fan groups on on facebook that are liking certain kinds of music and if the if our guest fits that type of music that he makes sure to let everyone know and uh so again we just we're so lucky to have these people who work for us and don't have to and so and andy and paul are two of those people for sure so thanks guys for everything that you do sure and john if you don't mind um so i started helping you guys out you know by posting all this stuff about a little over a year ago and back then the hustle podcast a Facebook page had uh, 747 followers as of May of 2018 and I'm proud to say as of yesterday it is now up to 1199 so we just need one more to hit 1200 come on someone out there. <laughs> I love it I love 
it's so it, they're one of the fun things about working with both of you guys is that you guys tend to get as nerdy about some of that sort of stuff as I do. And so, you know, Andy and I will be like, Andy's like, ooh, did you notice that we have 427 downloads in the first six hours or whatever it is? And uh, Paul, Paul and I will be like, did you notice that I inserted the Tide commercial when he talked about it? And just stuff like that. I love getting into the weeds with you guys on this stuff. I don't know if our listeners would care, but it is so fun to all three of you guys just to, you know, be a part of something that we're all, we all are focused on and working on. I love it. So sure. Well, with me being working in a, you know financial analysis, I'm looking at numbers all day long, John. Sure, so sure. Uh, this is just an extension of my work day. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I love. And I got to say, I probably go to the site at least once a day to kind of see how my episodes are doing. And <laughs> <laughs> um, now, speaking of which, well, I, I was going to throw this in later, but I'll throw it in now. Uh, two odd questions. Number one, do you know what? I'm sure you guys do know what our most popular episode is of the last quarter of this cycle. It's, Ooh, the last. Not probably one of the ones you would think. Uh, was it uh, Patrick Fitzgerald? Yes. Patrick Fitzgerald of Kitchens of Distinction is our most popular episode of the last three months or whatever it is. I would, I did not see that coming. I never see it it coming, whichever the biggest one is and the littlest ones are, and I never know. It is so odd to me what uh, people really grasp hold of, but he was very, well, we'll talk more about this when it comes up, but he was uh, very aggressive in his marketing and alerting his fans to it, and it was great, but anyway, yeah, that's our biggest one. Isn't that very wild? Nice. And then, do you guys know what the biggest, the most downloaded episode of the year is that is not a bonus episode? Because the deep oh, dive, boy. yeah, the Thomas Dolby deep dive and Brad Sundberg's Michael Jackson episode are the two biggest by far. But as far as a Tuesday episode, do you guys, could you have any idea what our biggest one of the year is? Oh, boy. You won't know. It's uh, Tower of Power. Emilio Castillo from January 1st, that episode oh, has, sure. has the most downloads. Isn't that crazy? Again, they alerted their fans and their fans ran with it, but I would never have seen that coming. Now, John, was that Patrick Fitzgerald show, was that the one where you got into the little bit of the Coldplay talk to? Was that that one? Uh, Coldplay, no. He was the... Who was he, that? He's, he was gay. He's gay. is gay. Yes. And he's now a doctor... And we were talking about like his his work, um, which I don't normally stray off the music stuff for too too much. But he was such a nice man. Yeah, he's a caregiver at a hospice in England, and uh, he's got a ton of like side pro. Anyway, it was his fan base is just devout, and they ate it all up. Now, uh, who who am I thinking of? Who who was that one that talked about how Coldplay would open for them? And oh, Embrace. Okay. Yeah, Steve right. Firth from Embrace, and they. He uh, was, I love that band. We'll talk more about. Well, no, we already did. They were before. They were the last yes. recap. But anyway, yeah, they were like they're just one of my favorite bands of the last twenty years, and I wanted to kind of spotlight them. But yeah, again, you never know. I never. That's why I try to cover like all genres and decades and anyone that I think might have an interesting story. I'll just see if they do or not, and uh, maybe it's good, maybe it isn't, and. The fans decide what they want to listen to. It's it's kind of wild. 
Sure. I'll just... Now, when I was posting the link uh, for the Patrick Fitzgerald one, I had found a bunch of shoegaze mm. Facebook groups and dream pop and all sorts of uh, <laughs> adjectives yeah. for, for that genre of music. And, uh, yeah, I got a tremendous uh, amount of likes and responses about that. So I noticed. Uh, yeah. Maybe I'm not too shocked that it was uh, so uh, heavily downloaded. I guess I'm, I get shocked in comparison. Like Ron Nevison is, I think, our second biggest. And that kind of makes some sense to me. But um, yeah, I just never know. Anyway, we'll get into the numbers and all that kind of stuff later when we start talking about these individually. I just uh, It's always interesting to me what's big and what isn't. Um, now, yeah, can you come off mute for a second and tell us about your love life? Because I purposely didn't go there on the last recap because I just figured... I hadn't heard any updates, and so I thought maybe there wouldn't be any, but I heard an outcry from a few of our devout listeners saying, what is going on with the ad's love life? I got to know. <laughs> so do, can you come off mute for a minute and tell us about it? Well, there's re- yeah, there's really no update at the moment. I was supposed to meet next week, but I can't do it. Oh. And so that's just getting rearranged, so... Nothing new at the moment. Now she needs to get a visa. Is that right, or does uh, she have? Got it? it. She's got the visa. Can you tell us again where she lives or where she's coming from? Moscow. Moscow. And uh, how often do you guys chit chat? Uh, at the moment, not as often as I'd like. Okay. Okay. But you guys have been chit chatting for a while, like a year or uh-huh. more, right? Almost. Okay. And uh, I know I keep saying this, but this woman is way out of your league, I'm afraid. Because, and I, that's not a yeah. knock on you. She's, a not, she's out of everyone's league. So I am so, uh, based on the pictures you've sent me, I'm so curious to see how this plays out. I want to know if uh, she's me, real. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, can you tell us any? I know you're. I know you don't want to like share the name or anything like that. What can you tell us about her? So basically, she's got a master's in psychology. Oh. Wow. Yeah. I gotta, you guys got to see pictures of this chick at some point, man. I. Uh, I'll I'll send it. Okay. Good. <laughs> yeah. Let's circulate yeah. these. This is These crazy. are appropriate pictures to look at. Ha! Barely. Yes. That's the funny thing. Barely. <laughs> let's just let's just make her the icon for this show. Then. Yes, <laughs> <we should>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man. Yeah. Well. Okay. So that's the uh, that's the update. So you couldn't meet next week. When is it looking like you might? Probably August or September. Okay. She's going to come to you, or are you meeting in a central location? Uh, she'll come here. All right. Well, is she going to stay there at the, with the folks and everything, or is she going to get her own place? What are you going to do? I'm not sure yet. Okay. Figure that one out. Okay. Okay. Good. All right. Well, so there you have it, everybody. There's right. the... I'm going to have to go and mute for it. Okay. All right. going to have ahead. to go and mute for a second so I can get Nicholas some, some uh, his boarding passes. So. All right. Go ahead. Okay. All right. So there you have it. Uh, you guys will have to see these pictures and tell me what you think because um, it's crazy. It is crazy. Uh, no offense to Yan, but uh, this woman's kind of amazing looking. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, one thing I want to mention about it is traveling. I think, uh, Paul, where are you? 
I, yeah, I, uh, Andy had mentioned uh, connecting all of us and me being in Texas. Andy, I am actually in San Francisco. Uh, I've got uh, two daughters. One is one lives in Spokane, and one lives and works out here in San Francisco. So I've been out here for a few days. So it's nice to have daughters kind of in cool locations. Uh, oh, and, sure. I'm at the Hotel Via directly across the street from now eight no now Oracle Park oh. where the Giants play. And Andy, I know you're a huge baseball fan, a baseball dad, so I know you'll appreciate the fact that we're gonna be going to see the Giants and the Diamondbacks today at one oh five. Nice. Hopefully oh, we'll be nice. done by then. So yeah. well, well at least you're not wasting your time going to see those Oakland A's. <laughs> Careful there. The A's were my team growing up. I grew up in the Bay, in the the East Bay, Concord, and uh, the A's with Ricky Henderson. Oh my gosh, I had so many Ricky Henderson posters on my wall uh, growing up. Oh, I was just gonna say one of my favorite pitchers growing up was uh, uh, Dave Stewart of the Oakland A's. Ah, yes, just the blackest black man ever. So well, that tough. had that cap down yes. where you couldn't see his eyes and. Oh, he's but <laughs> and that, uh, and you think of him as that menacing guy. Then you hear him speak, and he's got yes. that little soprano voice. Yes, it's crazy. <laughs> yes, that was always the thing. Oh, oh yeah, I loved it. I miss black guys playing baseball. Oh, I do too. You know yeah. what I mean? I I hope that's not a weird thing to say. It's just there's like one black guy on, and I'm not counting. You know. South American guys with, who are dark skinned or whatever. I'm talking like legitimately black guys, Dave Stewart, Ricky Henderson. That they, they don't have, they don't play anymore. It is so I sad know. to me. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Well, for the Minnesota Twins here, you know, we had uh, Tory Hunter for a number of years. Yes. And, uh, right before he retired, he had talked about that about yeah. how uh, uh, there's just not as many, uh, you know, African American. Americans, quote right. unquote, right. playing the game anymore, and they say you know with uh, cuts to park budgets and everything, it's cheaper just to build a little basketball court That's than right. you know maintain the ball field. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I read uh, Dave Winfield's book a few years ago, and he said kind of the same thing. It's uh, and I think a lot of it too is that uh, basketball in this day and age looks sexier. You know, baseball fandom is kind of dropping off, but and if there aren't parks in black neighborhoods where guys want to get together and play, they're more likely to, you know, try to dunk or be, you know, you can, there's more individual, I think, sort of stardom to be had in basketball than there is on a team sport like baseball or football. It's uh, sad. I miss those days. I used to work right, you're probably near, there's a ba- there's a building across the street from what used to be called Pac Bell when I worked there called the China Basin Building. Mm-hmm. And it's probably right across the street from you. And I used to work in that building. At night, I wrote news copy to be read on the radio, radio news. It was a ter- uh. it was a terrible job. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was terrible. I worked from two and two at night till no ten at night till two in the morning or four in the morning or something like that. And then I had a regular job during the rest of the day. It was awful. Mm-hmm. It didn't last very long. But anyway, yeah, I used to work in that building right across the street. Okay, and then uh, you're not, have you, you're home, safe and sound, right, Andy? Correct, correct. Okay. Yeah, no, I haven't, uh, I haven't journeyed out uh, anywhere lately. Okay, and we know where Yan is. Yan uh, had to drop off for a minute because he's going through security and everything. And uh, I just got back from South Dakota, my, which sounds 
super boring, but it's not. This is the third time we've gone out to Mount Rushmore and the Badlands and stuff like that. It is just one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen in my life. It's becoming just one of my favorite spots to go visit. And uh, there's so much, it's not a lot to do if unless you're outdoorsy and you like hikes or, you know, a band like ghost towns and waterfalls mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But it is serious. And it's great because it feels like a secret. Not everybody is, it's not, you're not just overwhelmed with people and tourists and stuff. It's still very pristine. It is just so gorgeous out there. I love it. Those, and, those photos were amazing. So yeah, thanks. And uh, I, I should say Tom Nuremberg, our friend, he uh, had asked me on Facebook how far away Badlands and Rushmore were from each other, and I mistakenly said everything was about a half hour apart. That's those are actually about closer to an hour and a half. But still, once you get up there, uh, even just driving along I ninety, which I never, you probably do, Andy, but I never have a cause to drive along I-90, the I-90 freeway. But it was, even that was gorgeous. We're driving along and it's, you know, just vast spaces, green spaces with yellow alfalfa growing on top. And you're just like, I cannot believe how beautiful this part of the world is. It was incredible. Can I I insert my two uh, kind of music-related stories on my trip out here to San Francisco? Yes, please. Okay, number one, of course, I, I never really travel anywhere, even if it's to see my daughters, that I don't look for some concert or show to go to. So I chose, and this is kind of out there for our listeners, I think, Dido. Mm. I love Dido, and just the fact that no one else wanted to go with me, that gives me, I, I think, kind of carte blanche to go ahead and just pay for the meet and greet. <laughs> oh, wow. And do wow. the whole deal so, you know, you get your photo with them, you get some, a little bit of swag too, you know, when you do that and, and then you get your seats, you're down there. This is the kind of the funny part. You're down there with the mega fans, you know, uh-huh. well, I'm, I'm, I'm not really a mega fan because I've got such, you know, you, you've got like, like John, you've got this huge array of people you like to listen to. You can't really mm-hmm. be a mega fan of anyone. But uh, so they're down there singing the words to every song, and I'm just kind of, I want to thank. But you know what it is. But but I'm down there, and, and I, I always meet these incredible people. And uh, you know, there was a couple in front of me from Pakistan, a beautiful, beautiful girl from Pakistan, kind of hanging on me, and, and she would sing all the words, you know, and. Uh, I met another great Cuban couple. People traveled. I mean, San Francisco wow. is really an international city. Yeah. So I had I had Cubans to the right of me, Pakistanis in front of me. I had two girls from Jerusalem to the left of me. It was an amazing experience, and she put on a great show. Good. It was at the the Masonic, which you, it, it's like a classic venue in San Francisco. Yeah. You can imagine like Frank Sinatra performing there in 1961. You know, everything's real art deco, you know, of that period. Yeah. So uh, I, I saw Dido uh, posted an amazing picture of, of me, and, and she looks great. She's 50, I think, now. So. Wow, good. And then uh, yesterday, we uh, are, uh, me and my wife and my daughter and her boyfriend, we boarded the Napa Valley wine train. Ah, and, and we cruised, and we went to uh, got on this train, and they feed you a four course meal, and you visit three wineries, and you just drink a lot of wine, and uh, everybody had more. I I kind of decided I would be the designated driver home for my daughter, so I kind of 
stayed, uh, just kind of sipped uh, a few sips. And uh, so that was like a six-hour ordeal. And we're driving home, and I happen to pull up Twitter. And I see this uh, tweet by Sammy Hagar. So how many people are Dido fans and Sammy Hagar fans? <laughs> so Sam has this tweet. He says, Mill Valley, there's a tasting of all Sammy's rum and Sammy's tequila products today. <laughs> At 4 p.m. at Vintage Wine and Spirits, uh, you can pick up a bottle signed by me, and he posts a picture of he and the store owner. And so I tell my daughter, we've, we're going to pass right by there. We've, I, want, I want to go meet Sammy. I'll buy a bottle of tequila. <laughs> so we, we, we make the little turn off of, uh, we're getting ready, to, right before you go over the Golden Gate Bridge, we turn right, and we, found, we find Mill Valley. And uh, we're just a few blocks from it, and I get into, I kind of find myself in a left turn lane. Well, I don't want to turn left. I want to go straight. So I quickly kind of swerve out of that lane and nearly knock over a Mill Valley motorcycle policeman. Oh, yes. So sure enough, the lights come on. He pulls me over and chastises me and asks me, did you have anything to drink? No, sir, not one drop, officer. That's what you say to all your listeners, John. You never, ever admit to even sipping. If I just, if I would have said, well, we did just get back from a wine tasting, and I would like for you to please step out of the car, Mr. Underwood. So, thankfully, he let me go with just a warning, and my daughter is like, oh, Dad, I can't believe you did that. She's all upset. Anyways, we, we, find, our, we find our way into the... Uh, this uh, vintage wine and spirits, and I walk in so excited and nervous. I'm going to get to meet Sammy and uh, redeem myself for posting a picture of me and Dido to all my rock and roll listeners. I'll post a photo. And they say, oh, he was here yesterday. Oh, what? And, but we have his bottles, and I just walked out totally dejected. So, <laughs> oh, didn't get to meet Sammy. Oh, so. man. Did you buy any of his tequila? I was going to, but I was so upset, I just right. walked out. I would have, too. Tequila. Yeah, screw this. Yeah. I came to buy this tequila from Sammy, not from you losers. <laughs> exactly. Right? Oh so my there, there's, my, there's my travel story. So. I love it. Um, the Masonic, I think, if it's the venue I'm thinking of, I think I saw television there about uh, six years ago. I, I feel like there's a lot of red velvet. Am I thinking of the right place? Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's these, these huge granite pillars uh, out oh. front, and it's, it's right across the street from a like a um, a huge Catholic cathedral, I believe. Okay. No, I think this was a different venue. Okay. Um, yeah, San Francisco is one of the best concert towns anywhere because there are just so many venues, and they're all classic and old. And there's the Fillmore and the Warfield and all these great places. Very cool. I uh, wouldn't have gotten off on that show, but I might have gone. I, I might have gone with you. Have you done? You've done the VIP meet and greet thing before, right? Yes. Uh, probably my favorite one was with Garbage. That was great because we just sat down, real informal atmosphere, and got to meet Shirley and and Butch Vig. You know, I was yeah. I was almost wow. more excited about meeting Butch Vig than I was Shirley. Sure. Uh, so that was probably my favorite meet and greet. I guess the only other one I did was with Vertical Horizon. Oh, sure. They still that was around. A- they yeah they are that was a few years ago and uh, just a real chill it was a real small venue concert was not well attended at all which is kind of disappointing oh, but, uh, huh. but they were great have you ever splurged nice. for vip stuff andy 
let's see here. No, but I've uh, I've met a couple people after shows. Um, yeah. You know, Mickey Jones, the uh, oh sure, well, deceased now drummer, but he was. Uh, Oh gosh, most people wouldn't remember him, but he was the drummer for Johnny Rivers. He was a drummer for Bob Dylan on his 66 World Tour, and then he went on to be with Kenny Rogers in the first edition. And then once he quit his music career, he went into acting. So you you would know him if you saw him. He always played like a tough motorcycle guy, and he was on Home Improvement uh, for number of years uh met him and he was the nicest guy you know he probably was more interested talking to me than i was talking to him Uh he's like how do you know me (laughs) because you know i was probably in my late 30s at the time (laughs) and he hadn't been a been on a recording in probably 35 years and he's like really you know you know my stuff i'm like yeah man i played with trini lopez (laughs) 1962 (laughs) oh it's so funny so he he was he was really nice good Oh, that's great. Yeah, I'm too cheap to do the VIP stuff, but I did pay a hundred bucks last year to hang out with Steve Kilby from the church uh, before <laughs> one of his shows. It was he was doing this acoustic thing around across America with Amanda Kramer, who was recently on Noel Fogelman's Reliving My Youth show. She was uh, she was the girl that was in the Information Society back in the day with Pure Energy and all that. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, she plays keyboards with the psychedelic furs now and she's with been with all these other bands uh i need to get her on the show and i we're i keep meaning to but anyway those two were going around just in a car playing acoustic shows in little weird places and this one was in like a sandwich shop in some new you know development area and there were you know i don't know 60 people in there but he was making more money on this tour than on any other tour he was doing because of all the expenses. So uh, I had to pay. He wouldn't put me on the list, even though he had just been on my show, and I felt like we had a good thing going. But uh, <laughs> so I paid the hundred bucks, and we ended up hang, hanging out backstage, just the three of us. And they were um, they were rolling their joints because uh, they had bought. You know, they're in Colorado, so of course they bought some high end whatever while they were here, <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, he was. He's just as prickly as you imagine, but it just feels <laughs> like it's kind of that's his thing, you know. And he would disappear for a while and leave me to hang out with Amanda, which was fine because she was great. But you could just tell that, like, he doesn't, you know. You can get close, but not too close here. Right, Back off, right. You know. So anyway, I hate talking about work. So uh, as most people know, last was it November? Last November. Um, the company that I had been working for for five years had gotten acquired and they laid off like almost 5,000 people and one of those people was me. And uh, I got a new job in December and uh, I hated that job. Hated it. And uh, <laughs> Paul and I talked on the phone a couple of times and I I was kind of at the end of my rope on a few of these conversations. They, it just, I hated this job. It was such a non-starter. Uh, it was a cut. I don't want to get into details cause I don't, I, for whatever reason, I feel weird talking about work. And, uh, but anyway, they, it was this company that owns this software brand that they had never really devoted any resources to. And so they had this idea. If we hire somebody, I think our business is really going to turn around. They hired me and they quickly, we all quickly realized that there wasn't enough business to merit me being there. And so, right. uh, at the end of May, I got laid off from that. I, satiate or I, I make myself feel better by knowing that it wasn't anything I did 
they aren't backfilling that position. They just realized that, oh, we thought we needed somebody and now we fired John and there's not enough for him to do and we don't need him after all and we feel bad. So I ended up getting laid off at the end of May, which I was kind of glad about because I hated this job anyway, but no one likes to be out of work. Well, it's being, I'm waiting for the formal offer, but I've been told that I am getting one any day now. And I'm right. starting a new job in a couple of weeks at another software company. I like this one a lot better. I have friends that work there. So I'm I'm pretty excited about this new job. I probably shouldn't jinx it because the formal offer has not come yet, but they keep calling me to say it is coming and when can you start and all that kind of stuff. I mentioned all of that. Yes. I mentioned all of that because um, you know, it was interesting when I at the job I had had for so long, um, I had been I say this humbly, I think, and thankfully, I've been really successful there, and uh, it was a very loose work environment. And so, you know, if I worked from home one day and I interviewed some guy in the UK on my lunch hour, it was not a big deal at all. You know, mm. no one cared. And one of my high priorities when I went into the second, the past job I had, was I wanted to try and maintain that same level of freedom. You know, it, that was a big deal, and I did. But it just, I hated that job so much. It didn't really ultimately matter and now i probably just need to focus i mean i don't you know i want to get back to work at a place i like with people i like so there may i have like 10 interviews in the can at the moment but there may come a time here quickly where i'm less responsive on facebook because i don't want to be on facebook all day or you know managing twitter or whatever all day while i'm at work at a new job i'm excited about and don't want to mess up so we'll see. We'll see if it impacts, you know, how we do things today. I try, as you guys know, I, every Tuesday I try to make that one of those definitive episodes and then bonus material for, you know, promo modes or deep dives or whatever on other days. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'll be able to maintain it. I'll try, but I don't want before the podcast came first and now work has to come first and we'll just see how that impacts the podcast. I don't think our dozens of listeners will care that much, but uh, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm, just, I sh- I'm just throwing it out there. And you guys don't have to like message me or whatever and say you're sorry. Everything is fine. Everything is good. But um, we'll just see how it plays out. So um, I well, might be just less responsive on social media than I have been. Well, you, you've got to keep your creative outlet, though. Yeah. Yeah, I'm finding, uh, you know, I go... the. Le- the last six months or so, I get a, I've there are di- times when I get kind of burnt out or worried that um, you know we're not growing or am I still any good at this or I, I get down on myself a lot about this thing and I shouldn't because I love it so much but it just it takes an emotional toll. I don't know if you guys ever feel that way about things that you're invested in emotionally that are creative when you're trying so hard to connect with people through this thing that you do that you're proud of. And if you, uh, you just feel so naked all the time, you know, I, I, every Tuesday I'm putting a piece of my heart out there for people and it's either going to be loved or rejected. And, uh, the wave is over in within a, a day and then it's back to normal. And now next Tuesday, hopefully we get it again, you know, and it's, uh, it can be kind of an emotional roller coaster. It sounds crazy. It shouldn't be, but it kind of is. If you're really Absolutely. invested, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I can identify. You know, I've, I've got my Glory Days radio. It's a radio show at a uh, station there in Brownwood, Texas, that if you drive outside of Brownwood about two miles, you can't pick it up. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I do. Some, sometimes I'll, I'll 
you know, you'll invest, uh, you know, three or four days getting ready for a show. And then you say, you just start thinking, okay, who is this for? Who's mm -hmm. listening? Yeah. But then just about the time you kind of start totally despairing, I'll be at my real job, you know, at my restaurant that my brother and I run. And somebody will say, hey, I really love your radio show. And that's all it takes is just yeah. one person reaching out. And all of a sudden, you know, your, your day, I'd rather them say that than, hey, your barbecue is the best <laughs> ever. I'd rather, them, I'd rather them tell me how great my, my radio show is. Yeah. So. So yeah, well, Paul, I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested in tasting your brisket. <laughs> well, I just may have to ship you some, Andy. We do. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. Um, well, John, I I think uh, with this batch of interviews here that we're going to be discussing, I think uh, you know you've gotten some really cool ones here. So uh, I know I appreciate you saying that. I I will admit to some degree the sort of sparkle has sort of rubbed off a little bit. I was thinking about this recently the jolt of excitement I used to get when I would interview people and they would, cause, and they would call in and it, it's like, whoa, there's Marco Peroni right there. Or there's, you know, going back further, there's Eric Bazilian of the Hooters is on the phone with me right now. You know, <laughs> sure. that is crazy. And, uh, that's kind of worn off. I mean, I, uh, now it's just like, Oh, hi, Ron Nevison. Good to hear from you. You know, <laughs> uh -huh. tell me about Starship. Right. So there's some of that that's kind of worn off, but it is, um, I don't know. It's, uh, you kind of nailed it, Paul. It's when you put, when you're doing something creative that you, that you have your whole heart and soul in, uh, it just, it, it can be really emotionally taxing sometimes. So anyway, we'll see. We'll see how all of this goes. But my focus needs to be on work is my point of all of this for the next few months anyway. And uh, so we'll release what I have. I'll keep doing as best I can. I'm not going to be able to like work from home and do things in the middle of the day. Not that I did a ton of those before, but it was always an option if I needed it, which might impact some UK guests specifically. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But anyway, hopefully if if deep dives become Tuesday episodes or promo modes or whatever, everyone will just forgive me and keep listening. We'll see how it goes. I think everyone will understand. Okay, hope so. Yeah. Um, now, uh, I thought I should just briefly mention, we haven't even gotten to the recap yet, guys. We, i got to get through all this stuff. Gosh. <laughs> okay, so I thought I should just briefly mention the Rock and Pod Expo. I know all four of us, yeah, not so much because he's so far away, but the three of us anyway were um, talking about going and everything, but Paul and I have backed out. We are not going. Andy, you are, I believe, right? Yes, I'm. Uh, I got all my tickets and hotel reservations, and I'm good to go. Good. I uh, I feel so conflicted about this. I uh, I've loved going to the expo in the past. I will admit this year felt a little different. It feels like it's kind of changing formats a little bit, and is less of a kind of a almost like a reunion of buddies, fellow podcasters. It feels like something different this time. But I love everyone and feel committed to the group so much that I was going to go anyway and feel it out. It's always fun, even if you don't, even if you don't know what to expect. Um, but there are two things that came up. One is a lot of the people I, Andy's going to be there. BJ's going to be there. And Brad Page is coming from my, uh, I'm in love with that song. How much do we love Brad Page, by the way? Oh, oh love, yeah. love his show. So Definitely. good. And he's such a nice man. Um, and then there's, you know, Chris and Aaron and all the other guys are going to, some of those people are going to be there, but like Eric Miller's not coming. Craig Smith, which I'm not as close to Craig as I am Eric, but Craig's not going. Greg Renoff from Van Halen Rising, he's not going to be there. <clears throat> so it felt like it was like some of my, 
some of my close buddies weren't going to be there this time. And, um, and then secondly, the bigger reason is that <laughs> this may sound lame, but the night, August 9th, which is the Friday before here in Denver, it, the alarm are in concert with modern English and, uh, Gene loves Jezebel. Now I've seen the, and I just had Mike Peters on. And so I think I might be able to get on the list and maybe even meet, meet Mike. And that sounded kind of exciting to me. Then the bigger reason is the next night on the 10th is a, <laughs> I, I have to laugh. It's a lost eighties live concert here in Denver, which again, I don't mind meeting, missing these things, but like half the lineup are people we've had on the show. Um, yeah. Wang Chung is there. The tubes is there. Motels, book of love, real life, escape club. And when in Rome, are all going to be there and they're all people who I've had on the show. And so I'm kind of hoping again that I'm, I, I know I'll get in for free. I might even get backstage and hang out with some of these people. And that just sounded like an, like a opportunity I didn't want to miss. And so that's the real reason why I'm not going this year. Anyway, I feel bad. And Paul, you're going to, you had traveling going on or something like that. And well, yeah, my brother was going to be gone on a little trip that same week. So it would have been difficult for, for me to go this year, maybe next year. Yeah. 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 And, um, I wasn't doing a panel this time or anything. So anyway, I, uh, I feel guilty, but if anyone's, I hope everyone will still wear their hustle shirts. (laughs) Jay, Bill, (laughs) Jay, Bill. So if you don't, I understand if you want to rep for somebody else that week, since I won't be there, I get it. It's okay. Well, I was just going to say, well, if Craig Smith's not going to be there, then I don't know if I'm going to wear the Hustle T-shirt. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> if, That's true, because that would just infuriate him so much. <laughs> Even though that... I bought a Pods and Sods one. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. Andy just wants to get to the recaps, because uh, Andy is amazing on recapping these episodes. That's true. That's <laughs> true. He is. He's done it before. Uh, you and Sonny last year, you were so great. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, last thing, just uh, speaking of pods and sods, I I hate, I feel weird self-promoting, but I'll mention it anyway. I I assume pretty much everyone who listens to us is aware of pods and sods and all the other podcasts, Rock Solid and Decimal Geek and all the other guys kind of in our network here, Rock and Roll. But if you're not, and you're not on Facebook, I, um, for whatever reason, the like last year or so have been on the pods and sods network a ton. And it's so much fun. I really like being a guest on there. We've been Eric Miller, the host. Craig's not as involved as much anymore, but Eric uh, has been doing these six-pack episodes where he'll pick a band or a topic, and then he'll bring people on, and they'll pick songs relating to that topic. I've been on there a ton lately. And so I just wanted to mention that in case anyone doesn't see that I share these things on Facebook. If you want more John Lamoureux in your life, and you're not familiar with pots and sods, go on there and uh, there's dozens of things on there for you to check out if you want. It's up to you. Uh, you had a question about that, Andy. You were gonna you mentioned earlier. Yes, yes. I uh, I was wondering, when you appear on that show, you tend to be a little bit more critical. And now I know when you're doing the hustle, you're trying to shower the guests with love yeah, uh, for true. the most part. You know, yeah. you you want to love them. But on these uh, these six pack episodes or soundtrack, well, the soundtrack ones you like, but yeah. uh, you tend to be a little more saltier. And I don't know if that's more if that's by design, just to be a little more uh, controversial. <laughs> I've um, noticed it as well. Have you really? Um, I will say I don't uh, I don't do that on purpose. Oh, is Yan back? 
I am back, yeah. Well, hello, Yan. We've been uh, just hanging out. We haven't even got to the recap part yet, Yan, so you're still in good shape. We've just been chatting about all the other topics we had on here. Um, uh, I completely lost my signal. <laughs> oh, well. Are you, uh, are you through security and everything now? You guys just hanging out? Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, so, okay, so let me... Uh, I don't seek out purposely to be saltier or controversial on his show, but it's uh, because it's not my show, it's a chance for me to just kind of be myself, you know? It doesn't feel appropriate to make my interviews on my show about me and be critical or be the bigger personality. I want to defer to them because I'm trying to tell their story. So, but if some knucklehead like Eric wants to have me on his show, then... <laughs> I'll just bring the fire, you know, which again, I, I'm joking. I don't, I, I, uh, that's, I'm, that's sort of more the real me on Paws and Sods, I guess. Um, on the hustle, I'm just trying to be kind of a respectful host and, uh, you know, be honest and sincere and love my, love my guests, like you said, and everything like that. So it's just different parts, I guess, of the personality. Sure. Um, okay. So let's see. Well, let's get into the recap here. Um, you, uh, now I can't remember if we talked about Tony Demur. We, some of these, I'll be honest, we don't need to dwell on for too long. I've got the whole list here. Some of them, there's a story. Some of them, there's not really much of a story. Um, Tony Demur, I think, is where we left off with the fabulous poodles. I don't have a ton to say about that one. That was, uh, I think I mentioned on the episode, they were sort of one of the impetuses for starting this podcast because years ago I walked in this weird thrift store uh, here in Denver and there's a rack of records there. And even though I don't collect vinyl, I'm always intrigued by what weird looking records are in record stores or in thrift stores. And the Fabulous Poodles thing is sitting there and I'm like, I've never heard of this band. This is so weird. These people existed. This guy has a story. Somewhere along the line, the people on this record thought they were going to change the world with their music, and now this record is sitting in a thrift store, and I've never heard of them before, you know? But that's the arc of these people's lives. That is so fascinating to me. And then uh, when our listener, Hub Rigel, requested the Fabulous Poodles, I was like, wait a minute, I think that's the band I saw in that thrift store that day. Um, anyway. Uh, so yeah, that's the story behind. I was really glad to have uh, recommended or requested them. Mind the gap. Yeah, mind the gap. I know he's at Heathrow and not on the uh, the tube, but yeah, yeah, uh, still it works. That's great. So anyway, that's I'm at Luton. Uh, I'm actually at Luton. <laughs> Luton. There you go. Okay. There we go. Um. So yeah, that, uh, that's the story. Oh, what were you going to say, Yan? There's a trick to doing this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> if you fly if you fly from an airport in Scotland when the schools are out, the, the prices are ridiculous. So you go down south to England and get an airport there, and ah. it's a fraction of the price. There you go. <clears throat> Doesn't it just sound sexy and kind of cool when Yan talks about you know flying in England and Scotland? And here we are, knuckleheads in America, without. <laughs> it sounds so exotic over there. Um, 
John, you're driving six hours to look at a uh, mountain sculpture of Geronimo that'll never be finished. <laughs> so true. Oh, man, it's so true. Um, but anyway, I don't have a ton to say about that one. I don't know if everyone cared. I thought it was mildly interesting. I think you made a comment on Facebook, Paul, that it was a quintessential hustle podcast. What did you mean by that? Just the fact that some of these episodes, you know, it's like, eh, I've never heard of that guy. Should I click on it? Should I start it? All you got to do is start it. And eventually, you know, all of a sudden, Tony Jamur talk, a guy I've never heard of, de- devolves into talking about the who. It devolves into Tom Petty stories. Yeah. Uh, that's what makes the hustle so great is just even even the artists you've never heard of before something, everything is kind of tied together. And you're yeah. kind of a. Uh, you're kind of knitting that history, John, with your shows. Thanks for saying that. I uh, that's kind of I have a sort of philosophy, and maybe you guys can tell me I'm right or I'm wrong. I think people get a charge when they hear names they recognize. So, um, you know, if someone if if we if somebody's on the show and they say, "Yeah, we were produced by John Entwistle," suddenly you're you know you get all excited. Your your radar your antenna goes up. I love John Entwistle. What he mentioned the name of someone I like. You know, and, and suddenly you care and you feel more invested. So, um, anyway, I just think uh, people like get excited when they hear names they recognize. So that's uh, that came up for sure in Tony. Well, sure. Plus, he had the, the comedy career afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, which I think if you were British or you're invested in British humor, you probably know. Maybe you know him or some of the things he's done. But um, that was kind of an interesting second act. I, I kind of like that one. Uh, now, I want to mention Mark Campbell of Jack Mack and the Heart Attack because I thought I was so proud of myself with that one. I was like, <laughs> guys, you know how at the end of Back to the Future when Michael J. Fox is singing and that's not really his voice? I found the guy whose voice that is. Isn't that great? I just thought that would be so exciting. And the numbers don't bear that out. No one cared about Mark Campbell and Jack Mack and the heart attack. I thought that was awesome. I did too. Yeah. I, did I too. give you an A for effort, John. Thank you. And he was a really funny guy down home. You know, they're they're the big party band in Hollywood in the 80s. And he's talking about playing with Bruce Willis and the movies he was in and the voiceover work. And who ha- I mean, we've all seen Back to the Future a million times. He's given little... You know the, how it came to be, came to be, and the recording process. I thought that would be so interesting, and uh, and it was, but not that many people cared about that one. And he talked about his mailbox money. Yes, gave us some insight on that. Yes, yeah, I, uh, I'm glad you guys are feeling me on this one. I thought that one would be fun, but uh, nobody got too excited about it. And they didn't share it. I should uh, going back to who's sharing and who isn't. Tony and Mark, neither of those guys shared. And it's like, guys, what better do you have? I loved you for an hour. Who else is doing that? You can't just tell your fans that, you know, there's this thing out here of me loving you for an hour? Come on. I I never understand that. Um, Does anyone have any... Some little kid hanging out with Yan, I guess, there at the uh, mm-hmm. gate. At the stand. Yeah. Um, oh, no, I had to cough. Oh, okay, good. There you go. Um, okay, does anyone have any insightful in- thoughts on either of these two guys? 
Uh, I thought Mark was a solid guest. I mean, like you said, to have that uh, background, what it's like to be in a band playing in the 80s uh, and to be in you know, one of the biggest movie franchises of all time. Yeah. I thought it'd be fun, but whatever. I'm happy with it. Uh, okay, let's get into Ronnie DeVoe for a minute here. Now, Andy, I know you particularly have... You're a fan of those guys like me. Big time. <laughs> I have a lot of empathy for him. <laughs> you do? Why? I, I'm in the same situation. Why are you going through the airport? Oh, right. <laughs> That's right, I forgot. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, that, so that one I've been trying to make happen for a while, many months. Um, the lady who hooked up... The, la- the publicist who hooked me up with Jeffrey Osborne... Um, handled them too and it finally worked out that I could talk to, to Ronnie who was actually the guy of the three that I was most interested in because I feel like he's sort of the quieter one he's the George Harrison of Bell Bib DeVoe probably <laughs> yes and um, but that was really a fascinating I was so I don't I don't know if everyone I don't think our listeners care as deeply about R&B as I do, and I wish you guys did, but I understand if that's not really your thing. We do do more rock, I guess, but uh, I was big into those guys back in the day, and uh, I thought it was so cool that he talked, and that interesting behind-the-scenes story, I'm at work, and I uh, didn't want to work from home that day because there was a meeting or something at work, and the floor that I was on, that I was on um, had some empty offices on it in this high-rise building in Denver, and sometimes those offices, the front door to those offices would be open. I'm guessing like a real estate agent forgot to lock it last time they were showing it. So what right. I was going to do was sneak off into one of those uh, empty offices and do the interview just on my phone in, a, in one of those offices. Well, they were all locked that day. And so I had to do that interview in my office on my lunch hour, which is fine, I guess. I mean, it's my lunch hour. I should be able to do what I want. But it just felt... It felt weird doing it, you know, right there in front of all my coworkers. Like if they're if they overhear me through the thin walls talking about poison and big booties and all this kind of stuff, I'm sure there's gonna be like, what is John doing in there? You know, why is he not focused? Anyway. So tell me about your open marriage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was pretty fascinating. So I gotta tell you, they came through con- here in concert a couple of weeks ago, and their people put me on the list. And it was a really fun show. But Bobby Brown is touring with them, as I mentioned on the interview. And uh, one of our listeners, Bud Verge, who lives out in Baltimore, saw the show a few weeks before I did, and posted told me that you know it sounded great, but Bobby Brown is like kind of weighing everybody down he seemed really out of it and that was so true it felt like bobby had like shown up late for one rehearsal you know whereas the other three guys are just in there getting their dance moves down and working so hard and here's bobby just barely hoofing it in and i'll figure it out i'll do it he was at like 20 percent whereas everyone else especially ronnie was uh, just killing it at this concert Oh, that's a shame because you look back to that "Don't Be Cruel" era, and Bobby yeah. Brown was the most dynamic performer of you know 1988. Totally, totally. Yeah, love that episode. Uh, my favorite part was uh, just the the uh, the juxtaposition of John, the whitest guy I know, besides. <laughs> 
you're interviewing, uh, you know, somebody that kind of sounds like Snoop Dogg, you know, Ronnie DeVoe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ricky and Ricky. Love that part of it. It was a great episode. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I, uh, I was so concerned about that because you, <laughs> I think you texted me afterwards, Paul, and you said, good job not falling into black speak or something like that because it's, it's true. I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a white guy from Utah and yeah, I loved him, but I was, I didn't want to, you know how white people tend to do that around black people. Oh, yeah. They oh, fall yeah. into those, you know, talking that way. And I just didn't want to do that. Chunky dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to do that. and But then I also didn't know if, like, were we going to connect? Were we going to be just too different? You know, here's this black entertainer talking to a white Mormon guy from Utah. Is that going to be too weird? Are we going to be able to bridge, you know, the gap? And uh, it turned out so well. I was so relieved. But, oh, it could have gone south so easily because of everything you just said, Paul. So true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think he tried to connect with you too, John, when he talked about hanging out with uh, oh, the guy from the jazz that he used to, whatever, hang oh, out with. Oh, yes, yes. So, yeah. I mean, he was trying to make a connection with you he too was. there. He was. He was a pro, and I really appreciated that and how well it went. I was glad. And they, he was. he's literally one of those dream guests, him specifically, because, like I said, I feel like he's sort of the under represented guy in the group so i was really glad that one happened um he's the mix of new edition yes that's it yes um probably made for a much better episode because at the time you were kind of excited about maybe getting bobby brown um you know looking back on it that that probably would not have been a very good episode with bobby i know i'm still kind of wondering if that might happen probably not because he probably would have done it to promote this tour right but uh, his publicist did say, you know, Bobby's open to talking about anything. You can ask him about drugs. You can ask him about music. The one thing he doesn't want to talk about is Whitney Houston, which I completely understand. Uh, and I feel like, too. Surely that comes under drugs. Very true. How can you separate those topics? Yeah, it's true. Um, I do feel like with the with the Whitney Houston documentaries that have come out, if any of you guys have seen this, you do. You're starting to understand that we all thought that Bobby Brown corrupted Whitney Houston. When I think it's out there now that they were both uh, had those tendencies, and if anything, she was, you know, as corruptive as he was. You know, it was not his fault. She was going there anyway, and so I think he just feels like he's tired of answering for that all the time. Sure. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, if you don't mind me asking about the show. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Ralph Tresvant and Johnny Gill are essentially the voices of New Edition. Oh, yeah. So you have Bobby Brown come out and do his solo stuff. You have uh, Bell Biv DeVoe do their stuff. But then what New Edition, quote-unquote, stuff did they do? Yeah, that that was my question, too. And, and they didn't do much because anything that Ralph or Johnny sang, they didn't do. So they <laughs> did... Um, Mr. Telephone Man, since Bobby sang that one. And sure. they did, um, I think they did Can You Stand the Rain? Because uh, all of them sort of take a turn on that one. Ricky, I think, sure. specifically sang a lot of that one. But, um, yeah, it was mostly Belle Biv DeVoe stuff and then Bobby solo hits. Bobby didn't do, he did do Roni and uh, Every Little Step and My Prerogative. And don't be cruel. He didn't do the Ghostbusters two song, which I wish he would have done. Yeah, 
he didn't do that one. But otherwise, it was all songs you would know. It was fun. It was a really fun show. Because so, yeah. I saw New Edition with Babyface in 2016. You did? And that, oh, that was a great show. Because Babyface opened it, and he did... He must have done a 15-minute medley of all the songs that he's, you know, co-written over the years. And it was, I mean, the list just kept going and going. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. Babyface did that song. That's right. He did the Whispers Rock Steady. You know, oh, just, wow. oh, I love that tune. All, you know, all the Tony Braxton stuff yeah. and Bobby Brown stuff. I mean, like I said, it had to have been a 15-minute medley. <laughs> Interesting. That would have been cool. Yeah, and that I... Was, oh, go ahead. Where it was all tradition but Bobby Brown. Okay. So you still... Ralph and Johnny and all the people. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I, th I definitely think Bobby must have needed a paycheck this time around or something because uh, he was there, but he wasn't uh, giving it his all. That's for sure. Um, okay, so the next one are the "Reliving My Youth" soundtrack episodes. Those are always fun with Noel. Um, we recorded two '90s soundtrack episodes that have not come out yet. But uh, as you guys know, I just have this fixation in, with soundtracks, and I'm so glad that between Noel, there's some funny-sounding kids in the background with you, Yen. What, what language is that? Probably Italian. Oh, okay, okay. So cute. Yeah, between the six-packs on Pods and Sods and talking with Noel, I'm able to just scratch that soundtrack itch deeply. Do you guys think those are fun? Do you listen to those? Oh, I did. I loved them, John. You are the you're the soundtrack king too. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Gosh, um, you know, I thought I had a love for '80s soundtracks, but uh, you guys picked some that are pretty obscure. How about you, Andy? Uh, I loved it uh, just for the fact that he gave some love to "There's No Stopping Us Now" by Ollie and Jerry yes, from the Break soundtrack. soundtrack. That came on. I was like, yes, I have not heard the song in forever. Yeah, I so love that good. Song. Yeah. Although that is a that is a controversial episode. Oh, and not because of your music choices, but because of your movie choices. The uh -oh. Eddie and the Cruisers two over Eddie and the Cruisers original is oh. Yeah. <laughs> I know you say you're in the you know you're in the minority, but it's like oh. Yeah, I took some heat for that and for liking uh, Jim Belushi more than John Belushi. Uh, that's kind of people are shaking their head at that. What can I say? I just do. I like the. Uh, uh, the second Eddie and the Cruisers is kind of fun. It's it reminds me sort of of Rocky Four in that it's like basically one giant montage and music video with some you know storylines sprinkled in. I just think it's a blast. Yeah. Sure, I, I get it. Okay. I just remember without John Belushi, Jim Belushi would have just been the funny bartender in Chicago. <laughs> True, but uh, I just didn't. I mean, yeah, John was funny, but maybe if he had lived, I would have felt differently but i i like john a uh, gym I'm yeah cool you, you you know you, you got to stay true to yourself you like what you like i mean i, I mean people get uh, upset when i say i prefer robert plant solo stuff to his led zeppelin stuff so. really now that's a hot take wow okay so now in zen for led zeppelin 2 yeah for me I, i've got to say i love uh Man, uh, Fate of Nations, one of my favorite albums of all time. Really? Love it. Huh. I um, I have mixed feelings about both. His solo stuff, other than I love Now and Zen. That's my favorite plant solo album. The others are kind of hit and miss most of the time for me. 
but the Led Zeppelin albums, most of them are so played out that there's just no reason to ever play them again. A lot of them, you know. And maybe, and maybe that's what it is. It's yeah. just they're just too familiar. I didn't mean to derail the conversation. No, are you kidding? It's always fun to have music talk. I love it. <laughs> and that's um, quite an interesting take too. To, yeah. Solo uh, plant stuff to that. Yeah. Everyone who's mad at Paul, please send your messages directly to him on uh, Facebook or whatever. Let's call him out for this. Uh, I got to say, I did see I did see Plan on his Carry Fire tour. Um, I think that was the name of the album, wasn't it? Carry Fire. Yeah, something. Like and that. Um, he he did, he played a little bit too much of that, uh, you know, the old Southern uh, blues stuff for me. He did, yeah. you know, he didn't get he doesn't get into any of those albums. You know, nothing from Fate of Nations, nothing from. I don't think he played anything from now and then, so I was kind of really? disappointed in his show. Yeah. Oh. Hey, didn't, didn't he do something with Allison Christ? Yeah. Oh yeah. Raising yeah. Sand. That was great. Loved that too. Yeah. Well, Paul, at least you didn't say you preferred the Honey Drippers over Led Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs> True. That would have been weird. Yeah. Yeah. See a love. You know, yeah. Come yeah. On. <laughs> True. Um, okay. Let's talk about Royston Langdon. Um, this is another one. Uh-huh. That was <laughs> oh. awesome. <laughs> you know, what, what makes you say that, Yan? Because that was one of the ones that I didn't, I was sure was going to flop. I love that one. Just, I mean, just for the music alone. Yeah. Yeah, Yan uh, was one who pushed for that one, by the way. He had, uh, he had mentioned a year or two earlier, like, we should get Space Hog on here. I was like, yeah, why don't I do that? And then I, as usual, it takes me a while to get around to some of this stuff, but I eventually did. You didn't have to buy any, you didn't have to send me any of the music. I yeah. already had it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Talk about your visual, uh, John, and what you were looking at as you were doing that show. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, he was, uh, so sometimes when I do these on Skype, I don't have a camera on my end, so they can't see me, but I can see him. And he's on the back porch of somebody's home in LA, he starts out like, and the the laptop or whatever is kind of on a coffee table, and he starts out leaned over the chair, looking directly into the computer. But by the end of the conversation, he's completely sprawled out on the chair, and he's got a beard, and he's sort of thoughtfully stroking his beard with each question, and uh, he's got these sunglasses on, and you know the sun is shining, and all this kind of stuff. So like rock star in LA. One thing I didn't mention, because I, I'm not even quite sure how to say this, but right behind him was, it looked like maybe a tiny guest house or a little apartment or something like that. And there was a screen door that was open, and two or three times a woman wearing just a shirt, like a, dre a white dress shirt buttoned up, nothing else, walked past the front door to that, and I thought, is she with him? Like, is that his girlfriend? Are they staying in that thing? Or is he just in some, you know, rock house of debauchery and there's women walking around like that all over the place? Who knows? But it was so in keeping with the vibe of, you know, him in that moment. Just eventually just completely laid out like he's on a hammock or something on this little chair, just stroking the beard with the sunglasses on and the woman in the shirt walking behind him. And, you know, and, but what's funny is I was really, I mean, you, I think you picked up on this, Paul, is that I, sometimes I go into these things with my own sort of narrative, you know, like, well, here's Royston Langdon. He's was a rock star for 15 minutes back in the nineties, marries the hottest 
actress at the time and then it doesn't continue what that that is a brighter shining light than other people may have had in their brief rock careers how how must that have felt and uh he wasn't really picking up what i was laying down you know he was not going to buy into that narrative no he was he was he was very unfazed by his uh his stardom um so that that was a surprise yeah yeah, and uh, I really liked the comment he made, something to the effect of, you know, fame is not real. Fame is an idea in the minds of people when they're having a conversation. He's He feels like a regular guy, and he's just trying to talk to another regular person in a regular way. And the idea floating around in their head is, whoa, this is a famous rock star, and that's influencing how they react to him. And I thought that was a really interesting you know, uh, examination or explanation of fame. It's not real. It's an idea in our head that impacts our behavior, you know, to around supposedly famous people. And he, not the victim, but he has to deal with that because he just sees himself as a regular guy. And the fame thing is playing in the gut, in the heads of the people they talk to. I thought that was really insightful. Sure. Although, you know, how many regular guys have Steven Tyler as their father-in-law? <laughs> right. Or, or, you know, were asked to, you know, audition for uh, Velvet Revolver. No kidding, right? I mean, that's the thing. At the end of the day, he can play it off like he's a regular guy, but he, there's a, he was a rock star. And uh, anyway, I thought that was really fascinating. And kudos to him, by the way, because he went on this brief tour opening for the Psychedelic Furs. And that's great, you know? That's a lot of exposure that he might not have gotten otherwise. Sure. So, yeah, I was sure That's that one was boring. Everywhere. I didn't think anyone would care about that one, and uh, it did pretty well. So I'm glad. I, it always it, surprises me. If you think about it, though, really, he is just a regular guy. He's yeah. Just like, just like the rest of us, his job is to entertain. True. I do wonder, I thought it was interesting that he doesn't make any money off of uh, In the Meantime, even though he wrote that song. So... That's why when I see, you know, him on the porch of this house with the woman walking behind him, I'm thinking, you probably, I don't think you have enough money, Royston, to pay for this house. Whose house is that? What are you doing? How, who's, what woman is that? Why is she there? You know what I mean? If, if you're not capitalizing financially off your biggest hit, who's paying for all of this? You know yeah, what I mean? Just to- yeah, it didn't add up, and he, he wasn't going to go there. He wasn't no. going to open up that part of his life. No, he wasn't. Um, okay, well, I'm glad everyone else liked it. I was, I didn't, it wasn't quite up to my standards, but I never, I'm a poor judge of these things. Chris Butler of The Waitresses. Uh, Paul, this was uh, the first one that you took care of in this cycle. That was, that was one of the ones, like I mentioned earlier, there was a fascinating story in there. We just needed to trim it up to get us there, and I knew that you would be able to do that. How did you like working with Chris or working well, on talk, Chris, I should say? Yeah, talk about a guy totally opposite from Royston Langdon. Uh, Chris Butler was an open book, thankfully. Um, he had some speech impediments, you know, a lot of uh, pauses and ums and uhs and all that. But, uh, but yeah, there was a great story there. Um, the first thing I was struck by is the similarities between his life and kind of that Hugh, Hugh Grant movie oh, about a boy. Right. Uh, now, granted, Hugh Grant doesn't write the Christmas song. He's a he's a descendant, but uh, that was my favorite part of the interview when you asked that question that you ask all the time: Can you live off of this one-hit song? Yeah. 
and more often than not, the answer is complicated, well, no, or, you know, all the, the answers that you hear, the record company screwed us, whatever. <laughs> but uh, Chris says, yes. Yeah. And then, he go, and then he goes on and he starts to stammer, it, um, 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 well, you know, and then you stop him. This is my favorite part of the interview, John. You stop him and you go, let's just stop it right here. Amazing. Um, <laughs> I love that part. You say, um, this song that you tossed off, he wrote it in a, a taxi cab on the way to the, the recording studio, and now he can live off that song for the rest of his life. Amazing. That is crazy. I, I, lo- I love the way you handled that. So oh, that, that was you. my biggest take, I think, on that show. Yeah, I um, shock. I mean, a Christmas song too, and you really it, must, it drove the point home to me. Like, really, how? Uh, valuable a Christmas tune is. You're going to make those mechanical royalties every year thanks to all the radio stations that play nothing but Christmas music for months and the compilation CDs and all, and the, all the... It's... Uh, I had no idea how all that worked until he kind of explained that. Well, and don't forget it was covered by the Spice Girls, too. Oh, that's true. I forgot so about So then that. You're, you're making that. Yeah. So now there's cover versions of it. and Yeah. But I really like this one, John, because the waitresses were always one of those bands. It's like everyone knows, you know, I know what boys like, yeah. uh, but I never knew anything about them. And then for him to have all those stories about Dahmer. I know. <laughs> about his house. Yes. And yeah, then you throw in, and then you throw in his buddy was killed by the National Guard at Kent State. I'm yeah. like, good Lord. Yeah. That famous picture of the dead body on the ground and the woman kind of kneeling over him, you know, yelling with her hands up or whatever. That's his friend killed on the, on the, in that photo. That is crazy. Yeah, yeah this guy, and I, I meant to, I forgot to mention, I always try to give credit where it's due whenever I put out one of these episodes, and I failed to mention that one of our listeners, Dave Markovitz, is the one who helped me get in touch with Chris. And uh, so thank you, Dave. I'm sorry that I didn't mention it when the episode came out. I meant to and I forgot. So thank you to Dave for helping to set that up. Yeah, that Chris Butler story is incredible. I could not believe how many different things. And what a, like, fun, affable guy he was in the face of it all. He, um, sure. You know, I, uh, that was a great one. Yeah. And he even got to tie in uh, Holly Beth Vincent. <laughs> oh, yeah. We had to cut some of that out, by the way. <laughs> um, boy, she's a trip. She is a weird lady. I'll say it, because he wanted to cut out his half of the conversation. But... Yeah, she, she's uh, she's the lady, she was in Holly and the Italians, and she uh, became the lead singer, as he mentioned, of the waitresses briefly there, it didn't quite work out, and uh, she's the one who wrote the song Tell That Girl to Shut Up, which Transvision Vamp turned into a hit in around like 88 or 89, and I tried getting her on here, and she agreed to do it, and then like 10 minutes before the interview, she's like, wait, is this an interview? I said, yeah, what do you, you know, I'm thinking in my what did you think this was? Yes. Go back and read all my emails. Yes. Of course it's an interview. And then she gets mad. I don't do interviews. And I'll, uh, well, why did you say that you were, that you would? And then she starts posting on Facebook over and over again. I don't do interviews. I don't do interviews. And it's like, what? Well, you don't have to advertise to the world. Why are you so, man, she was strange. Anyway, strange lady. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, okay. Ian Burden, deep dive of dare. 
I was really happy with how that one turned out. I, yeah, and you do a great job on these deep dives, by the way. We are, I just am amazed who agrees to talk to us for this kind of stuff. And here, this guy, found one of the founding members of the, of the empirical period of Human League, agrees to chat with us about, you know, creation of one of the most formative albums of all time. I just am shocked that he gives us that time, but he does. He was such a nice guy. Nice to me. You can tell that he's not like the, he's not like a funny, jovial, life of the party type. He's more reserved. And maybe, maybe me recognizing that is what kind of helps him get out of the show. But I was really proud of that episode. I liked how it turned out. And I deliberately try and make those as edited as possible. Yeah, you had a, we'll get to it in a minute, but uh, the Marco Peroni one that just came out, that one sounds like that. You had a lot of work to do on that one, too. Yeah. I'm going to go on mute for just a minute. Okay. While I, while I eat my lunch. Oh, good idea. Good <laughs> idea. <laughs> anyway, I don't know if you guys cared about Human League. They were a huge band for me, and the fact that he came on and talked to us about that was kind of a, it's kind of a nice, uh, one of the nice benefits of doing this podcast. Oh, yeah. And he's given you the lowdown on making the album. Yeah. You know, how cool is that? I know. Oh, and speaking of, uh, John, you know, you haven't, uh, did you talk about the uh, the zombies in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on the last recap? Oh, I can't remember. Oh, I don't did think that we... had actually happened yet. Thanks for mentioning that. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was so small that I didn't think that it actually happened. But apparently, according to you, Andy, thankfully, you did all the sleuthing <laughs> for me. So, uh, yeah, so one of our listeners, I think it was Michael Bagford, tweeted out a picture that he took of the credits. And near the bottom of the last page of the credits, it says uh, John Lamoureux slash The Hustle Podcast. And I didn't hear myself in the induction video. And so I assumed they didn't end up using it, but they were kind enough to credit me anyway because, you know, we went through the process. But you found a snippet from the induction video that came from our interview, yeah? Yep. Yes, yes. It was only like, you know, 10 seconds long, if even. But yeah. uh, but it was clearly from your from your interview. So that's what I think these deep dives are, uh, you know, you're, you have a cultural artifact here of talking about, you know, making one of the Human League's biggest record, you know, biggest yeah. records or New Wave's biggest record. Yeah. You know, if you want and, the, and the funniest anyway. thing about that is, I'm sorry, Andy, I was just going to oh, say... Go ahead. The, the funniest thing about that is uh, John was not too fired up about recording that episode, about doing that episode. And now you've gotten the most fame from doing that episode. I know. I know. <laughs> Isn't that wild? I um, Now, I, I like the zombies and I love Odyssey, Odyssey and Oracle. and uh, or, or That's right. Yeah. Odyssey. I wonder if it was Oracle and Odyssey. Odyssey and Oracle. And um, he was nice and everything. Sometimes those more promo- shorter promotional type uh, interviews feel really unnatural to me because I want to kind of sprawl out and get comfy and go deep on some things. And if we're just hitting bullet points, I feel like I'm out of my element a little bit. And I wouldn't have voted for them for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I, I hate to say it. One great album that became a big deal 20 years later is not quite enough for me personally, but I'm really happy for them. And, uh, yeah, it's so it's wild that that's the episode 
that we got associated with as it pertains to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Seems like it would have been something else, but it's that one. So, yeah, sure. Yeah. Anyway, okay. This is one we can be quick about. Frankie Previtt, uh, Frankie and the Knockouts, writer of uh, "I've Had the Time of My Life" and "Hungry Eyes." He was a really nice guy, and I thought that would be a really interesting story, and it is. I will say, and this is not a knock on him in any way, but this is something that comes up sometimes for me, is that if I'm sniffing out a, sto a story, like I think this person might have an interesting story, um, I look for hooks, you know, and, and the more hooks that a story could potentially have, the better or deeper it could go. And someone like Frankie, um, it only, there's only one or two hooks. It's, how did you write the song? And how rich did it make you basically right. you know right and um there's not much else i mean i there is if you want to talk about the knockouts which i did i tried to go there and focus a lot of time on that because i didn't want to i wanted to expand but there's only so many places to go and he's done a million interviews and i'm sure he's asked the same questions every single time and so he was on uh, our friend steve cooper's cooper talk episode in fact Steve is who helped me get Frankie. Steve helps me get a lot of these people, I should say. Shout out to Steve. Although, I think what's funny is I listen to his podcast, but I'm almost positive he doesn't listen to mine, which always feels a little weird. That's, it's like, look, man, I give you time. You should be giving me time, too, you know? But Got it. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, the Frankie Previtt story was really fascinating. I'm glad I got to share it. I don't know that it's there's a lot of layers to it, you know? Well. Right. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you right there, John. You mm -hmm. asked him about you know what his uh, you know biggest success was, and he talked about his adopted son. Yeah, that was kind of interesting, wasn't it? You know, yeah. You know, here's a guy who's got one of the most played songs on radio of all time, and he's telling you about, hey, I adopted this kid, and then I kind of slowed down because I wanted to, to raise him. Yeah. So that's you know commendable. Yeah, that was interesting. Um, you could tell he's just a regular Jersey guy who had this, you know, almost singular moment of inspiration. It's it really is like winning the lottery. I don't know how else to describe it. And I don't. That's not a knock on him or his songwriting ability or anything like that. But the chances of that happening, the way that it did to a guy like him, it's like it's just like winning the lottery. It's one in that, millions. Yeah, that was one. Of, that was one of my most enjoyable shows. Of course, I think I told you I saw Frankie and the Knockouts open, and I, I, I wanted to say the Cars on the Heartbeat City, but I think it was actually oh, wow. I couldn't figure out who they opened for. Oh. But uh, just the part about I love the part about it. You know how it was. It was nearly Frankie's voice on "I've Had the Time of My Life," and I think we played a little version of that. Yeah. And yeah. then when. You know, obviously, it would have been a hit with Frankie, but with Bill Medley singing it, that just took it to another level. Totally and agree. Just, uh, the fact that, you know, I think I would be okay with that, too, if I were Frankie, because uh, <laughs> right. that mailbox money just got a hell of a lot bigger. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, uh, just uh, what a shocking story. So, yeah, I'm glad. And that's uh, soundtrack. Persist song. What's There's that? no stopping that. There's no stopping that dirty dancing soundtrack. No. That thing just keeps going. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's in commercials Sad now. Enough. It's crazy. Yeah, I was at my cousin's wedding 10 years ago, and she essentially had that entire album played as part <laughs> of the reception dance music. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Um, speaking of things that I don't... I actually hate that movie. Do we? Does anyone here like that movie? 
it's of course, okay. John. What? John, you can't hate Dirty Dancing. I mean, it's got to be one of Farrah's favorite movies of no, all time. No, thank goodness. She do- I don't think we've ever watched it. <laughs> I, I should say, I think I've only seen it in its entirety maybe once or twice. But you, my affection for the 80s is so all-inclusive and encompassing. You would think I would like every little thing. But I, uh, I love Patrick Swayze so much, but I don't love that movie. I can't get into mm. that movie. But those are great songs. I've seen it once or, yeah, I've seen it once or twice, but I won't go, you know, I won't go seek it out. But if it's on, I'll watch it. Yeah. Does anyone like? I still am not tired of. I've had the time of my life. I've never really not liked that song. It's never been my favorite or anything, but I've always, that's always been a night a welcome presence. To, is anyone sick of that song? Am I the only one who feels that way? I love, I the, like I love the song. Uh, Sweetheart's probably my favorite song that Frankie's yeah. identified yeah. with. I just just love that little the little keyboard part, you know, mm-hmm. after he sings "Sweetheart" and "Bumpa." Yeah, you know, who loves you from the start? Uh, that's one of my still one of my favorite songs. One of my favorite memories from the uh, that early '80s time. Yeah, his knockout stuff is great. If you love that AOR rock from the '80s and '70s, his a- the knockouts music is fantastic. Is anyone, Andy, are you tired of that song or anything? No, no, I love it. And it's got that great 80s sax. Yes. Come on. Can't oh. go wrong with 80s sax. Yeah, I love it. Although, although if you look at a whole at that Dirty Dancing soundtrack, it is one of the craziest damn things around. <laughs> I mean, you have Eric Carmen and uh, uh, Patrick Swayze singing. Yeah. You have Mary Clayton, the Blow Monkeys doing You Don't Own Me. Yep, yep. <laughs> And then that Zappacosta song, Overload. Yes. I love Overload. that song, but it is it is the furthest thing from sounding like it belongs on that soundtrack. Yes, that that's not 1962 music. No, not, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Um, okay, well, good. Okay, let's talk about Sandy Soraya real quick. That was how we kind of ushered in our fourth birthday. I always try to make the birthday guest somebody who... Um, Everyone would, you know, has asked for, or there's been some pent up uh, wanting of it. Uh, that one came about last minute, thankfully. I wasn't, if it wasn't going to work out, I didn't know what I was going to make for our bir- for the birthday episode. Probably would have been Greg Kinn because he was, of everyone I had in the can at the moment, he was probably the biggest name. I, I you know, like I said, I, I like to tie them back to conversations we've had about guests or requests or whatever. Greg's name's come up. It wasn't, there's not like, a ton of requests for him, but he was, I, anyway, that's what I was going to do if Sandy Soraya hadn't worked out. And I'm trying to get in the habit of saying Soraya and not Soraya, which is what I've always said. And apparently that's wrong. Um, I was not familiar with Sandy or Soraya until starting the podcast and was getting uh, requests for her all the time. I love this band. I don't know where they went. She's fallen off the face of the earth. Can you find her? What's her story? And uh, thankfully, BJ Cramp from Rock and Roll did some sleuthing for me years ago. This was early on. This was at least three years ago. And he is, well, she used to be married to Brian from Tesla. Gosh, Tesla. Tesla. Yes. He, she used to be married to Brian from Tesla. So he got on Brian from Tesla's Facebook page and looked at his friends. And one of them was named Sandra. And he thought... Maybe Sandra is Sandy Soraya. This was Sandra Kelly. So we looked her up, and she looked kind of like Sandy Soraya. 
And um, I sent her a message. She didn't have a add friend button on her Facebook page, which you, you need. I don't know what else to do. So I sent her just a message on there, hoping she would find it in her spam folder one day. And she did, like, two and a half years later. And, uh, and said, yeah, let's talk. And then that took six months to make happen. But um, she was a really nice lady and, you know, just a regular mom. Very deeply religious. I always find that really interesting. I don't... That's one thing. I don't know if, if listeners care. Uh, you know, religion or God or spirituality are such hot topics these days, unfortunately. I think it's really fascinating what people's especially rock stars, spiritual lives are. I'm not mm -hmm. making a judgment. I'm not saying uh, right or wrong. I'm not, nothing like that. I just find it really fascinating what is going on in the hoods, spiritually, of rock stars. And so I want to give them time to kind of talk about that if they want. It interests me. I hope it interests all of you. And I'm not making a statement by that. I just think that's really fascinating, you know? I agree. I I, uh, I think that's interesting. The, the the other thing that I was uh, taken aback by on that Soraya episode is the fact that, kind of maybe even against what would be best for her, she fought to just be a member of the band. True. She didn't want to be the out front person, and um, I thought that was uh, commendable on her part, and and probably hurt her career a little bit. Yeah. 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 Well, that and here she's the lead singer, and she doesn't want to do press or be mm -hmm. focused on the album cover. I mean, how many <laughs> lead singers <laughs> do that? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I thought that too. Um, she could have so easily, as uh, some of the reviews or articles I read to her, could have cashed in on her looks. She's really, and she's still really beautiful, by the way. If you find her mm -hmm. on Facebook, she's a good-looking lady still. And there are a couple pictures out there of like her in a midriff or whatever, but nothing super sexy. And she could have so easily capitalized on that and risen to the top and been a big deal and had a solo career or whatever. And uh, she didn't. She stayed true to the band to her credit, and it probably did him in ultimately. But yeah, I thought that was really interesting. I'm glad you guys. I were you guys familiar with Soraya? Because I wasn't prior to no. The no, I wasn't at all. That's another one of those just, okay, should I click on it? Should I start it? Yeah. And, you know, as soon as you start it, it's, it's a payoff. I, I just I really enjoyed that episode. Good. Thank you. Yeah, I was same boat as Paul. I, I don't remember them at all. Yeah. Yeah, me neither. And I wasn't the Headbangers Ball type until much later in my life. And we'll talk about that later on, actually. Um, one of the listener questions. But... Yeah, I did not grow up. I, I grew up watching 120 Minutes, not uh, Headbangers Ball. <laughs> so they, they were not on my radar at all. Um, but I'm glad. I really like both their albums. Uh, now I can appreciate that stuff, but I wasn't into it back then. Okay, let's see. Tim Pierce. Boy, this one has, this one's kind of a trip. I heard from a lot of people. In fact, Andy, you mentioned this. Uh, a lot of people were confused why I put that out as a bonus. Because it seemed to make sense, it should have, it would have just been fine as a Tuesday episode. But I think you commented to me when it came out, Andy. You said, "I when I first saw that, I thought, why is this not a Tuesday episode?" But after listening to it, you understood why I did that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, he he uh, he didn't seem to remember a whole lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of frustrating. Uh, so here's the deal. Uwe Reith, one of our listeners out in Germany who used to be a contributor to the Inside Music Cast podcast, which I really like that. I don't know if you guys know that one. It's great. Oh, yeah. 
um, great podcast. So Uve had requested Tim to me shortly before it all happened. And I was like, yeah, that would be kind of, I always like talking to session guys, as, as you know, because you just go right down the resume. And um, without me doing anything, a uh, publicist contacted me that I work with and said, would you be interested in talking to Tim Pierce? So that's crazy you ask. I just got a request for Tim Pierce recently. Yes, I would love to talk to Tim Pierce. And it was relating to some award that he and a few other people were winning. And I told her, I said, look, I'd love to talk to him, but just so you know, I can't, uh, it's not gonna come out until after the award. So it, if this is to promote that, I'm probably not your guy, but I would love to just talk to him about his career. She said, fine. We did it. We only had about 40 minutes. I don't know. He got really he got really excited to talk about his new business, which was fascinating. The whole business, mm -hmm. the whole guitar videos and how that's a paid thing and subscription and that was super fascinating and I like of course I want to spend some time on that, but I want to pivot into all of his stories, Rick Springfield and Seal and you know, Crowded House and Kenny Loggins and all these people that I love. And we started doing that, but he wasn't stories weren't coming to mind. He couldn't remember a whole lot. And then he ran out of time and he said, well, look, let's do this again in a couple of weeks. And I think we did around the beginning of December, but it was more of the same. And, and I could tell, and I mean, no, dis I doubt Tim's listening. He was super nice to me, but I could tell that he was frustrated by me because I kept pushing him for stories. <laughs> and a lot of it got edited out. Yan edited a lot of this stuff out. But it was kind of like, well, why, why do you care about stories so much? And it's like, because, like I said earlier, we, we like to, you get excited when you hear a name drop that you know. And, you know, tell us all about it. And he'd be like, okay, okay. And then he would kind of go into interview mode. Okay, so, well, it's funny you ask me, John. And then he would go into this, like, you know, interview voice, which is all perfectly fine. But... It was clear that he didn't want or feel capable of having the kind of conversation that I wanted to have. And so exactly. I mean, yeah, I was ahead. just going to say, here's the guy who's had, uh, albeit maybe not quite the career of like a Steve Lukather, and those are the stories you want to you yeah. want to hear. Steve, you know, the Lukather book is amazing. If you get a chance to read an autobiography, you know, he just he just didn't he didn't go there. The stories were not there. You know, he's like, oh, I can't even hardly remember that session, you know, or whatever. So uh, kind of disappointing in that respect. But uh, yeah. it is interesting that he teaches, you know, that kind of that guitar, the riff rock, you know, and it's amazing he's doing that well because that's, you know, that's pretty well dead, you know, in yeah. pop music today. Yeah, I know. These thousands of, what was it, like 20,000 people or something like that pay a subscription to watch the the videos that he posts on there that's just fascinating to me that people care that deeply you know and a lot so, of 40 and 50 year old guys with guitars they haven't given up the dream yet that's true. True. they're empty testers now and yeah yeah from, from the session perspective he's you know he's going in he's he's basically a higher gun he's going in to to do his thing and then get out so yeah. you know he may not remember the ins and outs of certain stuff. Yeah, that's what I kind of eventually realized is it's it's an assembly line mentality, I think, for him and a lot of people where it's like, I just, I don't even know. I played something. I think they used it. I don't know if they used all of it. I think they may have used part of mine, part of 
Steve Lukather's solo and the same thing, you know. It's all an assembly line. He's just there playing and people are recording and using it however they use it, you know. Right. It kind of reminded me of uh, your interview with E.G. Daly from last year where yes. you're, you're asking her about stuff and she's like, was I on that? Yeah. <laughs> and then off she goes to YouTube in the background. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, yeah, there I am. Yeah, I was on that. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes they just can't remember. So I held on to that episode for months because I wasn't sure what to do with it. My thinking, too, is I recorded with him right before I started that last job. And I thought, well, I'll hang on to this. It doesn't quite, it's not quite up to snuff as the Tuesday episode, but I'll hang on to it in case I need it because I'm starting this new job and I got to focus and blah, blah, blah. But I never quite needed it. Luckily, I was able to keep doing some interviews after hours and whatever. So it was just kind of sitting here. What do I do? It's it's kind of a Tuesday up, but not entirely. It's kind of a Friday up, but not entirely. I don't know what to do with it. And I keep hanging on to it. And I feel guilty having it for so long. I better just put it out, and it makes the most sense to do it on a Friday, I guess. So that's that's why it is what it is. Sure. Yeah. Okay, Greg Kinn. Uh, this was a great one, too. I uh, think I have... I think I might have Steve Cooper to thank for this one as well. Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, I've always liked Greg Kinn. He was a nice guy. I will say, uh, and this is a not, not a knock on him in any possible way, but... He did radio for years and years, and guys like that, they know how to kind of turn it on, you know? And um, so I don't know that it, we got, like, deeply introspective, like I might have like tried to do with a lot of people, because he's he goes into radio disc jockey vibe when he's doing an interview. But that made yes. it, you know, entertaining. So what, what it may have lacked in depth, it made up for probably in entertainment value. Oh, yeah, agreed. Okay. I mean, he was very uh, witty, and he gave you some good stories, but, you know, nothing, like you said, nothing sexy. Yeah, yeah, sexy. No fireworks. Those are yeah, the things. No Amazon, <laughs> Amazon Mormon women in Salt Lake. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I, I enjoyed this episode, and uh, but I think I texted you, John, and I think you were kind of taken aback because you didn't get the vibe. I'm like, you know, Greg Kinn really loves him some Greg Kinn, but, but I kind of realized that that was just that radio persona taking hold. Yeah. And that, that's an episode that I was a little upset you didn't give to me because I grew up listening to the breakup song and uh, the girl most likely and uh, Jeopardy, so that, yeah. that was one that I definitely could have done, but Yan did a great job with it. Well, if yeah, he was he was really right. interesting too. He was. Um, I wish we had had we didn't touch on his books. You know, he writes all these books, and a lot of them are sort of like horror fiction. And I'm thinking, what? Why does Greg Kinn care so much about writing horror novels? You know, <laughs> that is so weird to me. But you know, another side of Greg Kinn. I just I think he's great. Um, you know, Paul, if you ever want to do more than one a month, I gladly. <laughs> Throw you the occasional Greg Kidd. Oh, oh. I, I, I love the, uh, like I say, I love getting into the weeds and, and really spending some time on them. So um, yeah. maybe when I retire one of these days, when I get out of the barbecue <laughs> business, maybe I'll have time. Okay, okay. <laughs> What's retirement? Uh, right. Right. Hey, John, I was just curious, uh, did you kind of, just not ask about the Weird Al videos because you know Weird Al kind of I know. was doing a 
was making a pretty good living off of Greg Kinn's songs for a while there. <laughs> I know. I didn't. Uh, sometimes some questions feel a little too obvious. So the, it's not that I purposely didn't, but it was like much farther down on my like priority list. It was kind of one of those like I'll get to it if it if it comes up naturally or whatever, because that seemed like such an obvious thing to ask. But I for, like I've said on here before, I forget. See, I do a, I do all this research to get ready, and sometimes that involves reading other articles or listening to other people's interviews or whatever. And because I've just done that, my thinking is, oh, well, that's already out there. So that story's been told. There's no need to do that. But I forget that I did that research. My listeners didn't all do that research. You know, they don't know what the story is, probably. I shoot myself in the foot sometimes on that kind of thing because I assume that because I know it, everyone knows it. And that's not always the case. And so I I kind of screwed up on that. Yeah, I admit. I admit. Um, We forgive it. Don't. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, okay, Paul, you're here <laughs> primarily to talk about Ron Nevison. Yeah. Um, tell us. Tell us about it. Well, it, it kind of brings up the bigger topic. Who is the show for? Yeah. Uh, is the show for the listener? Is the show for John? Is the show for the artist to get that all-important share? Or is the show for the whims of whoever's producing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and, and all those, and yeah, and you, you can you can hear me on this. It it all kind of comes to fruition here on the Nevison show. First of all, this was one I really was looking forward to getting, and I'm so glad you finally scored the interview. John, John, if you want to just pop in real quick and kind of talk about your little Twitter war you had, and yeah, then I could, you know. yeah. So this, uh, <laughs> I basically got trolled kind of on Twitter about this one. And this goes back, last recap Yan and I did, Michael Bagford asked a really interesting question about what what have been some of the more memorable positive and negative reactions to some of our episodes. And so, Michael, if you're listening, this goes back to that question a little bit. So I'm on Twitter, and um, some guy on Twitter, and I, I ended up blocking him, and I so I don't even remember what his handle was on there. But he was saying, basically, I can't believe that you had... You got Ron Nevison on your podcast and talking about quadrophenia and you didn't ask him about quadraphonic sound or whatever. All these like technical producer things, you know? And uh, I was like, honestly, that kind of stuff doesn't really interest me that much. I'm not a gearhead. Um, I like to kind of focus more on the music. He just kept kind of hounding me, but it would be one tweet. The one tweet would be like, I shouldn't get mad. Honestly, that was one of the best Nevison interviews I've ever heard. But why didn't you ask him about mobile recording with the Rolling Stones? Yeah. You know, or and it was like, yeah, sorry, man. I, I don't know what to tell you. I uh, and and I I try not to swear on here, but these are like a lot of like swear laden tweets. You effing idiot! Why didn't you ask him about the effing whatever? You know. Wow. And, and here's and here's the deal. Um, Ron did go into a little bit more quadrophenia talk, and I'm sitting there, and I'm I'm picturing John's eyes kind of glazing over because John doesn't want to talk about that. John wants to get into heart. He wants to get into meatloaf. He wants to get into the babies. So I'm thinking, okay, if it's not interesting, if it's not interesting to John, I may kind of cut out a little bit of that talk. So that's what I did. Mistake, perhaps so. 
and then uh, uh, John calls me after the episode runs, and he's like, uh, the John Wetton part, you, you cut it. And I said, again, he just basically, that's where I thought maybe the artist might not want to share it if he, you know, he's kind of talking about John Wetton being an alcoholic and all that. I'm thinking, well, that was about the only thing he talked about there. So I cut that. And then um, this is a great point. Yeah, the Thin Lizzy part. I'm getting to that. Oh, so okay. Sorry. at the very beginning of the interview, John says, okay, anything you don't want to talk about, and then uh, you just let me know. And uh, Ron Nevison goes, okay, I'll just say next, you know. And, and there was a little joke made about that at the beginning of the episode. So we're about a third of the way through, and John brings up Thin Lizzy. And there's a long pause on the phone, and Ron goes, Ryanair, departure to <laughs> flight number 84. <laughs> okay, no, no, Ron did not say that. Uh, Ron, Ron says, next. Yeah. And there's nothing really to talk about Thin Lizzy. And I, so I figured, okay, if there's nothing there, there's nothing there. But John made a, value, a, a great point, which I will follow from now on, Mr. Lamoureux, <laughs> is that sometimes no news is news. And just the fact that he didn't want to talk about Thin Lizzy, that's still news to a lot of the listeners. So yeah. uh, I did. Yeah, I cut that out too. And uh, live and learn. Yeah. Well, and, and these are small little things that I... I I trust your judgment, and so I wasn't surprised they didn't. Those choices didn't necessarily bother me, but I do think, yeah, I do stand by what I said that him choosing not to talk about Thin Lizzy is as interesting as him talking about Thin Lizzy because that gives you some insight on what that relationship might have been, and so uh, that one I did feel str I felt strongly about. The rest I'm with you on, but this Twitter troll guy. Um, my, so my standard response now when people criticize the show or get mad at me for not asking whatever is, well, I'll tell you what, you get Ron Nevison on your podcast <laughs> and you can ask him anything you want and I will listen. You tell me about it and I will listen. And, yeah. um, and it, because it's... I'm not, look, I started this out of nothing. I'm a nobody too. You can do it too. And if you want to call up Ron Nevison and ask him that, then try it. Go for it, you know? Yeah. And um, the, the Twitter troll, let me finish this real quick. The Twitter troll guy got really mad. You effing son of a whatever. And he's like, you know what? Fine. I will call him. Give him my number. And he puts his number in the tweet. It's like midnight. I got better things to do than, you know, respond to this troll so i blocked him i've never blocked anybody before but yeah <laughs> that's uh that's my common response now is like look go go get ron on your podcast and i promise i will listen you can ask him anything you want yeah and yeah. he can and he can tell him that look away sucks too <laughs> <laughs> i've never liked that song yeah. oh that was great and um <laughs> It, my, probably my, my favorite part of the shows. I love it when your artists start to sing, John. Yes. Because that that gives me a little opportunity to sync what they're singing in with the song, and I got to do that as Ron Nevison started singing those uh, those baby songs, yeah. the Baybets. Um, so that that's a uh, that's yeah. kind of my favorite. Th I did that with the Liberty DeVito and on the My Life at the very yeah. end, kind of 
put the music underneath Liberty singing and bringing it up. So, uh, so uh, I was kind of proud of the production work as far as that little section there. You should be. All these little tricks. I mean, uh, God bless Yan, but he, we, he's got so much to do. You know, we do sometimes two a week. And exactly. We've, we've got regular lives and everything, and so um, that's why I. I I'm really grateful that you take the time to put those little flourishes in. That's what makes them special. And um, if I was doing if I was doing a show a weekend, there's no way I would have time to, to do all that and sync it up because that probably takes you know takes a half hour just for that little yeah. fifteen second snippet there. So, wow. Yeah. And uh, Paul, the one I liked the best uh, was when John had Liberty DeVito and you put on that Liberty Liberty commercial <laughs> at the beginning of it because I started playing. I'm like. Oh my God, he's got a sponsor. Well, how did this happen? <laughs> my wife and I were watching college bowl games that January 1st, and that commercial was on every, and I was working on the Liberty show. That commercial was on like every commercial break. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. Right. <laughs> it had to be on there. Um, I will tell you guys, so we're recording this on Sunday, the 30th, and um, this Tuesday... Ron and I are doing a deep dive on the Heart album. Oh, so oh, um, yeah. So hopefully that'll probably end up being July's deep dive. Like I said before, Mark Opitz and I are talking in a week or two. I got a few others lined up, but yeah, Ron and I are talking about Heart on Tuesday, so that should be out later this month. Hopefully, that'll be great. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, I. Uh, I don't think I'm going to... Well, I'll talk more about this on Marco in a minute. Anyway, we can breeze through some of these other ones since we're coming up on two hours here. Kevin Armstrong, Deep Dive. Uh, I really like Kevin, and I've always loved that Iggy Pop album. I don't know. This is one of the... Like the Blow Monkeys episode where maybe this one was for me. You know, it interests me. I don't know if it interests everybody else. But um, Kevin's done so much and still works. He's still Iggy's guitarist, and I just thought... Let's hear some stories, you know, about Iggy and Bowie and all that period. And so that one meant a lot to me. I don't know if everyone cares as much as I do. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree with that. Not my not my wheelhouse, but again, I always love hearing the stories. And like you say, I love hearing the name dropping. Yeah, I, uh, I just try to imagine, I mean, the you know, Kevin and Iggy and David in a studio in Switzerland banging away. Just like, you know, whose breath smells, who... Uh, <laughs> Like what? Who's what? Who didn't comb their hair that day? Who's got bo? Like what <laughs> shoes are they wearing? Whose teeth are yellow? Who smells of nicotine? You know, just I I try to get to that level of detail without being disrespectful about it. But I just I'm just imagining. Speaking of which, I always wonder, Johnny Depp. As much as people love Johnny Depp, can you imagine how much he must stink? From cigars, from cigars. I hear he smells like Kurt Loader. <laughs> Kurt Loader. Tie in our Kurt Loader reference from last year. With Jackie. Yeah, that was great. Johnny Depp must reek so badly to be next to. Um, anyway, okay. Patrick Fitzgerald, we already sort of talked about this one. He was such a sweet guy. Um, that was another one that got messed up. We did that. We did an interview back in uh december i think it was and um it was so great and then i went back and listened to it and only his half of the conversation recorded i normally to make sure that doesn't happen i always test out the microphone beforehand to make sure that my side is recording 
And uh, I thought I did it that time, uh, but I must not have because it didn't. And uh, I felt I was just cry. It is the worst feeling in the world when that happens. And uh, thankfully, he agreed to come back on, and we tried to recreate the magic. He was such a sweet man. I really liked him a lot, and I think he'll probably come back on in the fall, maybe to do a promo mode or something like that when his new solo album comes out. But um, I did not see it coming that that was going to be such a big episode, but it was. Yeah, I, I wasn't familiar with uh, his work, but uh, it sounded interesting. And then, you know, even, you know, again, more name dropping, you know, had the Suzanne Vega <laughs> name dropping yeah. and about being on tour with her. And, uh, and then his whole second career, man, that's uh, incredible. Yeah. Yeah. As a doctor. Yeah. Yeah, he was a good dude. And I think he went back and listened. That's always crazy to me when some of our guests listen to some of our other episodes. That blows me away. Um, sure. Okay, quickly, Jack Hughes from Wang Chung. I uh, I already met. I don't know if the promo modes, the numbers for promo modes are lower. I have a feeling people just see promo mode and they think, oh, I don't probably need to listen to this one. But it was just crazy to me. I had, as I mentioned, one of our listeners posted, uh, wrote a comment on iTunes saying, bring Jack Hughes back to Deep Dive Mosaic. And I thought, yeah, that's a great idea, except that they're just putting out a new album. And I'm sure he's got a million other things going on and uh, would not be in a position to take the time to talk to me right now. And the very next morning, I wake up and there's an email from Jack Hughes. I did not reach out to him. He reached out to me. Hey, John, I don't know if you know, we got a new album coming out. I'd love to chat about it with you. Just crazy to me that that guy is sending me emails on his own volition wanting to talk about orchisography. And uh, and it's a great album. You listened to it, right, Paul? I did, yeah. I'm a huge Wang Chung fan. Um, I was just, uh, I was kind of amazed. He had such a gentle voice, too, you know, for uh, being the front man of one of those 80s bands. So I just, I just kind of loved his gentle British tone. Yes, yes. Yeah. And... Uh, I think he, it's funny sometimes because nothing he does now calls back to Wang Chung. He's so much more into kind of the jazz and the avant-garde stuff and the freeform fusion and everything like that. So I don't know how he quite wrestles with his Wang Chung legacy, but that album, I know a lot of people are doing those orchestra type things now and some of them are good, some of them are less successful, but his is actually really, really good. And yeah. I feel like it recontextualizes those songs. You wouldn't think that Everybody Has Fun Tonight really has any kind of hidden layers or depth to it. But when you hear this version, it opens up to you in a way that it didn't before. And uh, which is, I'm sure, what they were going for. So I'm really happy that they had this moment. I hope that people hear it and like it because it's really good. And it, it is amazing how many, like you say, how many bands, they say this is kind of the last bastion for classic rock. Is this going back and orchestrating all those and you know rick springfield has done it um uh trevor horn produced an entire album called uh, 80s symphonic which really has some great stuff on it but yeah this is just kind of uh, the the last chance to redo yeah. those songs one more time you know yeah. as if you you know we've already got the acoustic versions and we've got, you know, you've got all these the versions remixes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 so true yeah, I, uh, so he agreed to come back on when they re-release Mosaic later in the year or early next year. I will say he didn't share it, which concerned me a little bit because they did share their first episode and it really took off. And I worried that he was expecting something longer or different. 
I always try to keep the promo modes really short, you know, 20, 30 minutes. We've already told your whole story. We don't need to get into it again. Let's just talk about your thing. And it for Yan's sake too, to just keep them simpler and easier to edit and everything like that. But he didn't share it. And I wonder if he was disappointed in the conversation somehow. I, it worries me when that happens. See, I, I saw your notes, John, and I went back and re-listened to it. And I don't, I don't understand what he would have had an issue with. I mean, if he would have gone on, you know, a morning zoo radio show, they would have given him three minutes, <laughs> you <true>. know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I mean, you gave him uh, ample time to talk about it. And he even shared the, I thought he shared that cool story about, you know, him being out with his daughter and dance hall days comes on yeah. the radio or whatever. And yeah. I mean, he seemed very affable and that he was, uh, he was digging the interview. Yeah, so. I hope so. And I tried to touch on the, the Sid Arthur collaboration that he had on did recently of the Beck song and so I try to cover it all uh, I hope he was happy with it you never know you know but um, anyway okay we can do uh, now Mulu uh, here's another one that was just for me and they were a, another one like the Fabulous Poodles that were sort of an inspiration for the podcast because one and done one album in 1997 I buy on a whim I don't know anyone else who knows this band knows these songs i've never heard them on the radio i played that album to death back in the day i loved it where do these people go you know and i had been trying to find them for years uh another one you know laura campbell you type in laura campbell on pod, on facebook and there's a million laura campbells on there alan too for that matter and so i'm not i could have probably looked taken more time out of my day and really dug deeper but I didn't I some cursory looks wasn't digging up who they were and uh, there's not a ton of information on them out there finally I found Laura after I gave it a few more minutes and um, it took a while but we finally got them both on and they were that one look I know that I don't know if anyone came away from that like I must know about Lulu but I thought it would be kind of fun hearing them name drop like her smoking with Joe Strummer, or them almost being managed by Kurt Smith, or just the bands that we all liked, you know? that kind of, it, it turned into just people talking about music they loved more than like telling the story of Mulu. And I thought that'd be kind of fun. It's, uh, understandably, it's not one of our highest downloaded episodes ever or anything like that, but I thought they were really funny folks and we had a fun conversation whether people knew about Mulu or not, you know? In the famous well, words of Ron Nevison, next. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> no, and and, and, and the, you just kind of brought it up. I started that episode, listened to the first five or ten minutes, and I gave up on it. But then you're bringing up you're bringing up names there, um, Kurt Smith and all yeah. that. So I should I should have stayed with it. I should have stayed with it. Well, that's uh, <laughs> I understand if again if people I do that too. You know, I listen to Mark Marin or. Chris Hardwick or any number of podcasts. And if it's a topic or a guest that doesn't interest me, I just delete it. I got too many other things I can listen to. So I understand if people weren't scrambling to hear the Mulu episode, but I love that album. And I thought those two were a lot of fun. And it's always a blast to just talk about music that we like with people, you know? They were so nice and funny and everything. So anyway. Uh, you know, it was interesting just because, you know, they were almost words. You know, yeah. so just to get a, I mean, that's part of the hustle here. Yeah. As I was saying, it, it, they were somebody that I had tried to find, like when I very first started this thing, because they would have, 
fit sort of perfectly where we began. And we st and I still do episodes like that whenever it makes sense. But thankfully, we've kind of evolved, you know. I mean, we've Jack Hughes is emailing me now, thankfully, and Ron Nevison is going to talk again and all this kind of stuff. So um, I still love to showcase the littler bands when I can, but we've just evolved. Before, that was 100% of what I focused on, and now that's, you know, 20% of what I focus on. But sure. um, so that one had been in the works for a long, long time. But I'm really glad we got to put it out there. Those two were nice. Okay, Mark Deming of uh, AllMusic.com. So I just, I really liked Mark, but I just, these critics make me so crazy. <laughs> you know? The, yeah, the, one of our listeners, James Milton, asked when I threw it out there on Facebook, if they had questions for this episode, he wanted to know what you guys think about this topic. Does, do you notice that music critics have a groupthink mentality? Does it bother you? Would you have felt as kind of impassioned about it as I was? Do you not care? What do you guys think? I, I would just say it's just a lot more entertaining to be negative. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of going through and working on a uh, show about the journey escape for Glory Days Radio. I'm just doing a deep dive on that album, and I, I found the the original critic for that album in Rolling Stone. It was very interesting to go back and I actually tried to get her on the podcast, and she she uh, she refused to come on. Her name's escaping me right now, but she was married. The one who wrote the uh, the review for that was married to Albert Bouchard of Blue Oyster Cult at mm. one time. Wow. Just very interesting. And Blue Oyster Cult toured with Journey, and supposedly there was a lot of friction because Blue Oyster mm. Cult thought they should be headlining or whatever. So I think that kind of played into her review. But that's the first thing I think about when I think of reviews because her review of, of that album is, is, you know, scathing, of course, you yeah. know. But uh, I just think it's just a yeah, it's just a lot uh, easier to be uh, critical. And Andy, I know you've got a lot of thoughts on this as well. Yeah, you know, John, I've I've noticed the same thing you're mentioning. You know, over the years, I'll read the uh, you know people's choices for best albums, and you'll have you know Revolver and mm -hmm. uh, by the Beatles, and we'll have you know you'll throw in some Radiohead. That's why I was shocked that Mark wasn't a big Radiohead guy. But you tend to see the same albums over and over. Exile on Main Street, as yeah. you've talked about before. Yeah. I mean. I, I, do, I put that in my top five Rolling Stone albums, but mm -hmm. not number one. So I, I do notice the same thing that you tend to see the same ones or the same artists on all these guys' lists. And I, I thought it was kind of interesting that you were asking about it. I think Mark also made the good comment of it's not like these guys get together at a, you know, Holiday Inn on a Saturday. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I'll uh, agree on what they're going to pick, but... I, I do find it interesting that it's it tends to be the same things over and over again. For me, it's a lot of who they who doesn't get mentioned. Like I've like I was saying to him, what what is wrong with In Excess or Duran Duran or one of those kind of marginalized bands that were so big in our in the eighties in my day, I should say, and who seemed to me to put out really quality work. Why is it not quality work to a critic? What's wrong with right. it? You know what I mean? Well, I wonder if it's generational too, because if you know, if Mark's talking about how he heard the Safaris wipe out, you know, I got to imagine he's in his late fifties. Yeah. So I think it might be like you said, more generational, because I think you made a good point of you know, why are the critics going crazy over Neil Young's latest album? Yeah. When no one's listening to Neil Young. Yeah. Or. John Mellencamp puts out an album a year, but I couldn't tell you any <laughs> songs I've heard from him in 15 years. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it just uh, it infuriates me kind of sometimes the lack of diversity that there's not a, there aren't a lot of people out there banging the drum for other things. It's just the same kind of stuff rises to the top. So and I really I wanted to be respectful to him, but I really wanted to argue with him more. And I let me clarify in case he's listening or any other critics are listening. I don't mean argue in the sense that like he I don't like him and he was making me mad and I want to he was annoying me. That's not what I mean. I just uh, I really want to get in the weeds about this topic. So another writer for all music named Chris Woodstra contacted me on Twitter after he heard Mark's episode and uh, he wants to come on too. And so Chris Woodstra. Yeah. So I try to space these ones out because there's, you know, I don't want every, you know, once a month we talk about criticism or whatever, but I'm going to reach out to Chris Woodstra here at some point. We're going to talk about some things. And then uh, I, I think I may have mentioned this before. Ages ago, David Wilde, the writer and who's on Rock Solid with Pat a lot and stuff, he offered to come on and uh, I need to reach out to him too. So there will be more uh, of these music-related conversations that aren't always with musicians. I hope that's okay with people. I, l- I love the episodes. I do think you? your listeners yeah. do too. Okay, good, good. Um, and uh, I'll really look forward to David Wilde. Yeah. I, tell me what you guys think about this. Now, he, you know, we could talk about any million things with, but the topic that I thought about, and I hope that he's open to this, is I want to know why certain, like what's really going on behind the scenes with certain bands. For instance, when I heard him on Rock Solid, I don't remember what the story is now, but I believe he was talking about why there are two versions of Yes out there right now. And uh, whatever the reason was, it was like, ah, oh, here's someone who really knows. All of us speculate, but here's a guy who knows. And he was explaining why. And I thought, I want him to come on with me and we talk about that. You know, like what's really going on with Creedence Clearwater Revival? Or do Tom Johnson and Michael McDonald hate each other? And that's why there's not more going on with the Doobie Brothers. But not in a gossipy way. I don't expect him to gossip or, you know, tell secrets or whatever. But to... Kind of expand or elaborate for us on anything he might know about why what's really going on in Chicago with Peter Cetera or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. that'd be good. I thought that might be kind of interesting if he if we can do it in a way where he doesn't feel like he's having to share secrets or anything. Why does what does he know that's going on behind the scenes as to what why certain bands are dysfunctional or whatever? You know, what stories can he share? I thought that might be kind of an interesting topic, so I might do that with him. Uh, Dave, if you're listening, because he does listen once in a while, I think. I'm going to come for you here pretty quickly. Okay, let's wrap up on a few of these. Mike Peters, of course, I love the alarm, and I was so glad that he gave me a few minutes. Did it read to any of you like I hit a bad nerve when I asked about the reunion? Because it did to yeah. me. And I thought, here I'm set the most positive and inspiring person in rock and roll. I've made him mad. Leave it mm. to me to do that, you know? And... Um, and that's how it felt, and I got really scared and kind of nervous. I think one of our listeners, Steve Harris, mentioned that he heard my voice quivering, which it might have even done because I was so nervous. But uh, what did you? How did you guys read this, Andy? You start. Uh, yeah, you definitely hit a nerve because he gave you a non-answer answer. Well, yeah. I don't know if it's something the fans are clamoring for to have Eddie come back. You know, the Larm's always been a forward-thinking band. We don't like to go back to the past. You know. Yeah. I, I had no idea what any of that really meant. Right, right. <laughs> so there's something between him and Eddie that 
it's just easier if Mike is the leader and hey we're gonna do the alarm and it's gonna be my version of it and this is how it'll be and why upset this yeah uh, my observations on this episode, uh, one thing is life is sometimes unfair. <laughs> um, you know, Mike, golly, I mean, his battle with cancer, his wife's battle, I mean, that, that was tough. Yeah. Um, and Mike has, he was, he was in the news yesterday. Are you aware of the, the little classic rock story that came up? No, uh, the, other than I think oh, the killers. There, that's what I was going to okay, talk about. Okay, yeah, the, yeah. The killers were in Glastonbury, and evidently Mike Peters was just um, uh, just in the audience, and all of a sudden he hears "Rain in the Summertime" coming from the killers. So uh, that that made a little uh, interesting little rock story yesterday. Yeah, I saw that pop up, um, and that doesn't surprise me. Going back, I don't know if anyone else knows, but Brandon Flowers is Mormon. And yeah. uh, he grew up in Las Vegas, obviously, which is actually has a big Mormon population, believe it or not. And uh, so he's sort of, I always talk about how uh, steep, deeply steeped in 80s alternative Utah is. And by, mm -hmm. you know, through being a close neighbor or ties to Utah, that's big for Brandon, too. And um, so it doesn't surprise me that he did that, sang that particular song. For that band, that, and, and it just—it really means a lot to me that he, he flies the flag for bands like that. That's so great. Yes, uh, huge Killers fan. I don't know about you, but I, I think it may be time to disband the Killers and have Brandon just go solo. What do you think, John? Ooh, I don't know. See, I did not like his first solo album at all. Oh um, well, I didn't like it. The second one is great, I think. And yes. I know we're getting off the subject. No, and, okay. Andy had Andy had to drop off there for a minute, yeah, but it's uh, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's lost kind of two original members of the band now, don't tour with him anymore, so yeah. it's just, okay, who really are the killers, you know? But anyways, we're, we're getting off topic. No, I've had the same exact thought. I wonder that, too. You, I would hate for it to just be a Brandon in a revolving door. I do think yeah. this goes back, as we well know by now, is like naming rights. Uh, the killers are going to play Red Rocks, where Brandon Flowers may not. You know, true, true. Even though it's all the same people, all the same songs, everything's exactly the same. You put the killers up there, and you're going to draw more people than you would with just Brandon Flowers. It's a weird right. thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, the Mike Peters thing. I, I was, I love that guy. I do feel like he sort of talks in a lot of platitudes. You know, it's a lot of very inspiring speak, and it's a lot of. Uh, you know, we're going to take that hill. We're going to fight this fight. We're going to, it's, we're going to mm -hmm. make life. We're going to world peace, blah, blah. He is such an inspiring guy, but it's kind of hard to find out what's really going on sometimes under there, or maybe that's just him. Yeah. And so me asking about that reunion, which I th thought felt very natural after having Eddie on and it being a hot topic and him kind of bristling at that, that really kind of frightened me, but whatever it's out there yeah. and I'm glad and they uh, posted their the episode to their website and they even quoted me on their website talking about Sigma like John Lamoureux of the Hustle podcast says Sigma is blah 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 that was kind of that was kind of a nice surprise um, yes it was okay tell uh, I don't think Andy's back on yet but that's okay you tell us or maybe that's Andy oh I'm sorry guys I, I tried messaging yeah you did. Yep. We knew you were gone, so we filled. Okay. Time. Yeah, we're oh. good. Um, okay, sorry. That's okay. This is another one of yours, Paul. You tell us about William Whitman. 
uh, first of all, had no idea who the guy was, and uh, he's amazing. I really enjoyed the episode. The, the best thing was, John, you finally gave me clean audio. Mm-hmm. This guy was very... Um, uh, very easy to understand, very few of the ums and uhs. So as a producer, I was very appreciative of that aspect. Uh, I guess the two things that hit me on this, one is, you know, his great, his really telling off-the-record story about Joan Osborne. I really wish we could have left that in. Can we talk about it now, or should we keep it off the record? Um, We could probably summarize uh, Yeah. Let me, one little thing real quick. Uh, One of our listeners is trying to put me in contact with Joan. So she might be coming on soon. And if she does, of course, I'm going to ask about this exact thing. So yeah, Yeah, maybe if you can respectfully summarize. Just, just briefly, you ask, you kind of asked that question. We all wanted to know what happened, what happened to her after her, you know, that album relish comes out and she's all over VH one and she's a, you know, a superstar. And, you know, his basic answer was that he didn't ultimately want us to use is, she kind of went back and found some of her older recordings and said, ah, this is what I want to put out for my next album. Yeah. And uh, kind of against everybody's best you know, wishes, uh, but she had the power to do that. She yeah. did it, and it kind of derailed her career. So that was kind of the, uh, the inside stuff we weren't able to, to use on that show. Yeah. Um, the other thing that, that struck me is I loved his, his, his you know, Here's a guy who works with Cindy Lauper, the Hooters, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he's in a room with Mick Jagger. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and his two little tidbits about Mick as they're listening to the song, you know, Mick starts doing his gyrations, Uh and he's starting, he's imagining how he's going to perform this song on stage. (laughs) And then just a part about he and Anton Fig, he, him insisting he record his audio with the drums in the same room, and just the fact that William Whitman's like, this is never going to work, it's never going to work, and then Mick's voice just totally overpowers those drums, and it's just like, I don't, I don't have to do anything to this audio, it, it's great. <laughs> right. So many great stories, and uh, yeah, that Mick thing really blew me away, and the timing, I think I mentioned on there, uh, had was when he released that video of him rehearsing his dance moves in a ballet studio or whatever after his heart surgery. And I just thought, this is, it's so strange. We, I mean, if I've seen the Stones a couple of times and we just, it looks as if Mick is so overcome with the music that he's just kind of spastically moving around, <laughs> kind of like Peter Garrett of Midnight Oil, these strange moves, you know? But, when, but you realize, but you pull the curtain back and you realize he practices that stuff. You know, do you, do you think David Byrne practices all his moves, John? Before he <laughs> uh, yeah, I do actually. I do think that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just uh, it's interesting to learn how calculated and choreographed a lot of that kind of stuff is. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. I have to give a special thanks to Dill, the the uh, host of the uh, Rockonomics podcast. It's I, he is the one who suggested William as a guest. To me and it was a perfect suggestion william had great stories and a lot worked on so much good music the outfield and everything so um thank you dill for doing that one thing i want to mention to you guys uh, i i know we've been on here for a while so i'll try i'll try and keep this short uh so i'm facebook friends now with a lot of former guests i like uh, not all of them is there a ton of interaction some people there is but uh i always i do that so that i can tag them on the posts and then they can share them or whatever 
So the other day, as I mentioned, I was in South Dakota and my family visited Mount Rushmore. And it was just the most beautiful day. You know, it was perfect weather, perfect. It's, I don't know if you guys have ever been there. It's a beautiful scenery. I took a picture. I was just kind of sitting, soaking it all in. And I posted a picture on there, on Facebook, saying something to the effect of, you know, can't help but feel patriotic or something like that. Alec, former guest Alex Call, who wrote 8675309. Mm -hmm. uh, we're Facebook friends. I, to my knowledge, he's never made any previous comments or anything like that. Uh, proceeded to comment about how, you know, we took the Black Hills from the Indians and, you know, which is all true. Uh, there's mm -hmm. no doubt about that, you know. And, um, but yeah, he wanted to make sure that I knew the, you know, sad black backstory to Mount Rushmore and I totally get it. <laughs> And then uh, after him, William posted on there, just said, try harder. So my, his response to can't help but feel a little patriotic is, well, try harder. And uh, I, you know, I, I thought, what do you say to these guys? You know, do you, um, I don't, they've been nice enough to come on the show. I like them. I don't think they, either of them mean any ill will. But do I want to get into it with rock stars on my Facebook page about this topic? You know what I mean? Well, that's kind of all your lives intersecting there, isn't it, Doc? <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> and I thought, I don't, you know, do I do I argue with them? Do I be like, yeah, thanks a lot. I know all of that. I was choosing not to focus on it. I eventually replied to both of them and just said, yeah, you know, maybe patriotic was the right, was the wrong word. I just was, it was a really beautiful day and I was with family and the weather was perfect and for a moment there i just was really happy to be alive and uh, i chose not to think about all of the messy political stuff that's out there for a moment you know what i mean sure and, yeah uh, basically basically nothing in america can withstand the the uh the, you know, <laughs> the history you know that, that that brought it about right, right. pretty much so. right yeah so i uh anyway i i just thought that's an interesting you know, dilemma to be in. Do I argue on Facebook with rock stars that I respect about things? Not that I would even argue. I, I'm with both of them. I understand what they meant. But, sure. uh, you know, do I want to get into it with them on my Facebook page? Not so much. Anyway, a little behind the scenes. I would, I would follow the Ken Mills rule. Facebook is like an elevator. You can scroll up and down. <laughs> Just scroll past it. That's a good point. I like <laughs> that. Good old Ken Mills. That's uh, right. Okay, so we, we just have two left. I'll quickly go through these. Dave Shelzel of the Ocean Blue. We've now done four of our top five most requested guests. I need to update that list now. We've had uh, the only one left are the Sundays, and I don't know if that'll ever happen. But we've done the Ocean Blue. We've done Mr. Mister. We've done Voice of the Beehive, and we've done Sandy Serrano. So um, I, I think I mentioned on here I was I almost got Paul uh, Quindley, I think was his name. He was a member of the Sundays, not Dave or Harriet, the husband and wife team that were the driving force and who don't do any interviews now. Paul agreed to come on and then had second thoughts because he wasn't sure how they would feel about it. Maybe one of these days Paul will come on. I don't think the other two will. I, the Ocean Blue are a top 10 favorite band of mine. I was so excited to finally interview Dave. Um, we didn't have a ton of time. We only had 45 minutes. And I went in with, uh, you know, I, why do you think you're big in Utah? And why, what, why does the Davy Jones' Locker album sound weird to me? 
both answers were a little awkward, I gotta say. Uh, Utah was like, yeah, I don't know why we're big there, but we're really no bigger there than we are in other pockets around the country. Okay, good to know. And then the Davy Jones thing turns out it's a bunch of demos, and I didn't know that. So anyway, uh, that was one of those interviews that has left me kind of cold. He's one of my favorite people from one of my favorite bands. And I don't know what I would have done differently, but there's something about it that doesn't... I don't know. I, I, was, I think I told both of you guys. Sometimes I just... I hope that my love for the guest is so obvious and overwhelming that it warms them up to me and we become friends. And when that doesn't happen and they remain, remain sort of aloof doing an interview, you know, one of millions... I get kind of bummed out because I want us to bond, you know, and, right, I, sure. and I, I bring up a couple of questions that I thought were a little more insightful that we would bond on and they end up turning more awkward than anything. And so it didn't quite happen, but anyway, at least it, yeah, he, it happened. Yeah, he didn't give you much to work with. That's for sure. Really? You know, his responses, eh, he didn't really seem to go in depth. Yeah. Um, I got the impression, too, that he didn't want to talk too deeply about his family or his career yeah, or anything definitely. like that. You know what I mean? So I didn't press. Yeah. Um, maybe because I love them so much, I may have been a little too precious and didn't uh, too overly sensitive to pushing or prodding or, you know, doing anything that might have been construed as disrespectful. But uh, I love them so much and I love the new album, but it, I just wanted more heat, more fireworks from that interview than I think we ultimately got right well plus being one of your top five you know to gets yeah you know you probably have built it up a little bit more in your head yeah kind of you know what you're expecting it is interesting i did google him though and he lives here in minneapolis where i'm at and he's uh -huh. a big time lawyer uh uh -huh. representing sports and entertainment uh people and then uh, i guess he also does stuff with intellectual property so maybe he's just a little bit more buttoned down you know mm -hmm. <laughs> cerebral guy probably um than yeah. that so probably um i want to put in a little plug uh one of our listeners is named ben montgomery and he has a podcast called oh my gosh records revisited and i just recently i didn't know them and but in meeting ben um he made their podcast known to me. In fact, I'm going on there soon. We are going to dissect In Excess Kick album. Ooh. And um, so shout out to that podcast. It's really good. And Ben is great. Lastly, Marco Peroni's Deep Dive. It just came out yesterday, I think, when we're recording this. Um, he's another one kind of like with Ian Burden. I'm just shocked that these people take my call, you know, and are open to talking with me. Have either of you guys even had a chance to listen to that one yet? I started it last night. A lot of times I'll set my little sleep timer, mm. and I, I was so tired after uh, the wine train and the, yeah. the uh, all that. I, I kind I think I dozed off like in the first 15 minutes of it. So I'll have to pick that one up and listen to it later. Okay. I love that album though, so I'm excited that yeah. that one went out. Yeah. Um, I will say I. From now on, I think I'm just going to pick the albums I want to pick because. Um, <laughs> I love Kings of the Wild Frontier. I mean, there's no question that that album is a classic. I didn't, I was more interested, I think, in talking about either Prince Charming or Friend or Foe. But I didn't go with that because I threw a poll out on Facebook and Kings got the vote. Right. But in listening to Kings to get ready to talk to him, I realized how it's a little samey, you know? Um, there's not a ton of diversity in a lot of the songs. And so 
it felt like it may not have been the ideal launch pad for a deep dive kind of conversation. Now, it turned out great. Our conversation went really well. I did a ton of research for that. So if anything, I probably quoted too many articles or books or whatever <laughs> in our conversation. But in the future, I think I'm going to do what I want to do. And uh, because that's that then I get more excited about the deep dive conversation than I would otherwise. You know what I mean? I think I think that's a good uh, good idea because ultimately the show's got to be for you, right, John? I mean, yeah, it does. It does. Yes. Yeah, you're right. It's ultimately about me. Ultimately, yes. I say that humbly. Uh, yeah. So anyway, that's why uh, I'm sure that Ron Nevison has a million. I know he has a million uh, albums in his arsenal. We could talk about. To me, the most, the one with potentially the most interesting story is that Heart Comeback album, and mm-hmm. so I don't really. I don't know whether my listeners agree with me on that or not, but that's the one I feel strongly about. So I'm going to go with it. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. Sure. Um, I did listen to the episode. I'm about two thirds of the way through. And, you know, usually how you start the episodes, John, you'll say, well, I'm talking to uh, Marco from his home in uh, Devonshire. <laughs> you know, uh, this time you should have said you were he was calling from uh, a bird sanctuary in oh, you know, yeah. Liverpool or something. <laughs> That's right. Oh, birds. What are those birds? <laughs> oh, <laughs> That's so funny. All I can that. think of is the song Blackbird, you know, yes. Blackbird singing of the dead of night, and the little bird tweeting in the background. Oh. <laughs> We talked a little bit about that. Yeah, he uh, he was just in his garden in the backyard, you know, when we talked. And uh, yeah, I remember hearing birds as we were doing the recording, but they were much more prominent in the end <laughs> result than I remembered. Uh, so yeah, he uh, was just surrounded by birds. That was so anyway. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, hopefully, uh, Marco is still going to put me in touch with Shaban from um, Bananarama here soon. I'm hoping anyway. So hopefully we'll have her on here pretty soon. Whoa. Yes, that would be fun. I spe- Speaking of people I had crushes on growing up, oh my gosh. Siobhan <laughs> Fahey from Bananarama. So hot. I loved her. Um, okay, so that's pretty much everything. I hope these things are interesting to the listeners. I, uh, I get a lot of good feedback. I'll hear people like you guys were saying where it's like, oh, I didn't think I was interested in that episode. But when you guys talked about it on the recap, I went back and listened to it and I liked it. So uh, hopefully it's interesting for people to get the behind the scenes scoop on some of this stuff. We didn't get to hear from Yan as much this time. So I'm really glad you guys were on here to kind of uh, fill in the gaps and add some color. Uh, I did want to bring up at least one question from one of our listeners, Derek Johnson. Uh, such a great guy, by the way. Uh, he wanted to know what band or performer did we initially not like, but came around to eventually? And um, there are millions for me, but there's one in particular, and I'll save my answer to the end. Uh, Paul, did you give this question any thought? Who would you have picked? Oh, let me uh, let me kind of scroll through kind of the episodes that we've talked about. Um, I would have to say it's one that I guess we you, you guys had talked about on the last episode, and that was Brent Bourgeois mm. uh, for me because I really knew nothing about Bourgeois Tag. Uh, didn't know about his work with Todd Rundgren, so uh, that was one that uh, that that for me was one that I would have I wouldn't have given that band or him a second thought before listening to the episode. Yeah, good. Okay, Andy, what about you? Uh, Frankie Previtt and the uh, his band. I'm, I'm the knockouts. Forgot that. 
the knockouts. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I I don't remember them, and that was a t- you know uh, what was it, Sweetheart? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was the yeah. big hit was a top ten song of nineteen eighty one. I have no recollection of it. You played it on the show. I go, what is that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good. You know, 81, I probably would have still, I would have been uh, a John Lamoureux favorite, been listening to H&O. <laughs> Hall and Oates, that was, man. That, was, yeah. that was major Hall and Oates time, 1981. Yeah, sure was. Or Air Supply. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, BJ and I recorded a episode on Hall and Oates for Rock and Roll probably six months ago. And I mm-hmm. think that's finally coming out this week. In fact, that episode and this episode might be out on the same day so uh, uh if you care about hollow notes and you care about me and bj give that a listen i absolutely uh, one of the one of the bands that came to mind and i think that they came to mind probably because they've been top of mind is the outfield uh i think i mentioned this when we recapped the tony lewis episode last year when the when the outfield first came out i hated that band <laughs> i hated tony lewis's voice so this oh. high-pitched whiny thing and i remember not liking you know um say it isn't so and your love and all those hits that they had josie's on a vacation farm i hated those songs and a buddy mm. of my friend scott mertlick had the uh voices of babylon tape and i remember him seeing it in his room and i was like you bought that crap and he's like yeah it's actually not that bad and i was like what? That is the worst song I've ever heard. Voices of Babylon. Cut to 20 years later or whatever, and now they're one of my favorite bands ever. I love every stitch of music they have ever put out, and yeah. um, it is all excellent. I don't know what happened in my brain. It eventually switched, and now I just think the outfield are one of the best there's ever been. That reminds me of uh, another part on that William Whitman show. Of course, we spent time, you know, uh, talking about the outfield. And another, I, I think, a great John Lemmerow part of that interview is when he starts talking about the meticulous producing that went on behind that. How he layered like ninety different guitar parts, guitar part over guitar part, mm-hmm. and then you ask the question. Who are you doing this for? I mean, is, is the band asking you to do this? And and you ask the question, or is this just for you? And he just basically said, "Yeah, it was just to satisfy me." Yeah. And I thought that was a, a very salient point on a uh, question to ask on your part there. Thanks. And uh, and he made a good point. I mean, I he's cutting tape. You know, this is back in the old days. This isn't like oh. layering on some track on GarageBand or whatever. He's got to go back and like physically cut tape and all that kind of stuff to layer these things. That's incredible. And no one would know that had he not said that. You don't you don't listen to that album and you think about, oh, what great production, you know, what listen to all these voices, you know. And uh, so that that was a real eye opener for me. Yeah. Uh, You did miss one softball I threw to you on that episode there, Paul. I know. I, yeah, I remember, uh, but I do I do not even remember that part of the conversation. And I'm just going to lie and say that was the part of the audio that cut out, John. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was listening to the, uh, the Fix albums, and the drum sound on Calm Animals is exactly like an outfield drum sound. Mm. And um, I mentioned that to him on there. I even named a song specifically for like oh here's a cue for the producer let's plop that song in right here and uh you whiffed you whiffed on it paul (laughs) 
hey, you know what? You just produce your own damn episodes from now on. <laughs> I know, I know. I feel like such a chump even saying all this stuff. I'm bringing it up lightheartedly so we can laugh about it. Oh, I know. No, I'm, I don't take anything too seriously. Okay, so good, no, you're good. Fine. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. Uh, anyway. Hey, and John, I can understand, you know, your outfield story because, you know, when you were talking with Mark Deming and you said, hey, well, why isn't NXS, you know, considered an admired band or yeah. something? You gave that example. That was one band kind of like your outfield story. NXS did nothing to me. And oh. then I think Kick finally came out. And then I heard it a year or two after it came out. I go, yeah, this is actually pretty good. I, I, why did I not like this when it first came out? I don't know how anyone couldn't have liked Kick. But yeah, I... Uh... We all have these, you know, these walls up somewhere in our brains. I don't know why. I should say, um, I hope people like NXS because you're about to get a lot of it. Uh, I'm going on that Records Revisited to talk about Kick. And then uh, Eric Miller and uh, Joe Royland and I are going to start doing an NXS series. Kind of like we uh, with BJ, we've been doing for Billy Squire. Album by album through NXS. So uh, you're about to get a lot of NXS content out there. I hope you like that. Now, 1987, Andy, wouldn't have cared. But 2019, Andy, is interested. Good. Well, you've matured. You've grown. (laughs) Um, Okay, guys. Oh, happy birthday, by the way. Oh, wow. Wow. Thank you. Yes, that was yesterday. 46. The big 4-6 yesterday. Do you remember what it was like turning 46, Paul? Oh, John, you had to bring that up, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got, uh, I'm, what am I, 54. I'm 54 now. Okay. Uh, oh, that's not that much older. Yeah, uh, yeah big four six. I, uh, we went to dinner and a movie. We went out to dinner with some friends, and then we saw this movie, The Last Black Man in San, San Francisco. And um, it's an indie movie, and I had been dying to see it, and it was awful. Oh, no. Yeah. And we took friends. And it's one of those things where you feel guilty because everyone came to this movie for you and no one's liking it. And, you you know, you're just kind of sweating in your seat. Like, <laughs> oh, man, I've, everyone's going to hate me after this. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. I've had that feeling, too. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, okay. What do you – I'll just – oh, go ahead. What were you saying, Andy? I was going to say, you should have had him come over and watch Eddie and the Cruisers Part 2. Yes, that's what we'll do next time. Yes. My birthday, I make the rules. And um, you can see how sad Bo Diddley was at the end of his career and willing to take any check that was thrown oh, at him. Man, so <laughs> well, guys, thanks for doing this with me. I love you both so much, and I hope that you know that. And I'm grateful for you. I consider you some of my closest friends, which is odd because we've all only met each other a couple of times. But uh, it is the modern friendship version where you see the person like your things on Facebook and you suddenly feel an an emotional bond. It's weird how that works, but that's how it works today. And so I, uh, I love you both very much. And thanks for being my friends. And thanks for supporting us with this and being a part of the team. Right back at you, John. Yeah, definitely. And Paul, nice to meet you finally. Andy, my daughter will be moving to Rochester, Minnesota next year. Uh, her husband is uh, going to be uh, working with the Mayo Clinic up there, so we'll have to look each other up. So here's the joke about Rochester, Minnesota. There's two major companies that are in that are in that town, and you either work for Mayo Clinic or you work for IBM. So whenever mm. I meet someone from Rochester, I always say, IBM or Mayo Clinic, and they get the joke right away. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah. well- 
Yeah, thanks, guys. Now, I always close these things out with uh, a song from one of our listeners that you can access or get on your own. I'm going to play. Uh, we have a bunch of uh, songs in the hopper that we're going to use on future episodes this week or this time. I'm going to go with a song called Before You Run by Jace Pollock. Uh, Jason, Jason has put out an album or two. He sent them to me. I haven't listened to them yet, Jason. They're in my car. I'm going to be getting to them very quickly. Um, this is great AOR, just straight up melodic rock, like something Brian Adams would have done or Night Ranger would have done or Loverboy. And um, it's, uh, yes, Jace Pollock, P-A-W-L-A-K. It's called Before You Run. It's a great tune.